mean, naturally, it's Lori's fault because that's why I don't have my cell phone alarm on. I don't have a beep beep alarm. Which also doesn't wake you up. Yeah, also doesn't wake me up. So Lori wakes you up. So it's like a... The light works fine. The light works fine. Unless we stay up too late doing a podcast. Right. And then okay. somehow it's my fault. Yeah, that's not true. Speaking I... of which, it's 8.48. We're supposed to start at 8.30. I feel like I need to get... Lori's energy right to this place before we start every week. <laughs> We're not actually ready to go. Here we are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains. A podcast that would like to proudly announce this holiday season, apropos of nothing in particular, that regardless of whatever the haters and doubters have to say, and certainly not because of any underlying unpatriotic activities or thoughts expressed or implied herein or anywhere else, that this podcast stands with America, all right? Don't bother doubting it for a second, because we stand with America. Sometimes we even sit with America, occasionally lie down on the couch with America, might go for a nice stroll on the beach with America, and from time to time, we go to bed with America. Not just for sleeping, you understand. Who's asking, anyway? My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my... Good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How you doing, Lori? I'm fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Monday, December the 12th, 2022. My mother's also here. Abe, Abe say hello to my mother. Hey. You can say, hi. Hi, say, say it real loud. <laughs> that was you pretty can loud. Say it loud. That's fine. Say it loud. That's oh, fine. Mom's off mic. She says hi. She's just hanging out. Hey, did you get into anything fun this weekend? I did not. No, I, I did watch a lot of movies. I know we do this at the end, but this. We could make it the whole podcast watching, oh. instead. We could just talk yeah. about <laughs> no, movies. No, we'll, we'll get to the movies. Yeah. We got but two no, hours. Other than that, nothing. Two hours of yeah. solid blather to do before we get no. to the fun stuff. You got to earn the fun stuff. You got to take your. <laughs> The, the the sour I feel with the like sweet. I've earned the fun stuff. Yeah, also, you know what I did? I fixed what? my my computer, my wireless LAN card in my computer shit the bed at some point last week. So I was stuck. I was tethered to uh, to this, you know, the Ethernet six cable or what have you for a few days, and it was just like this little. This little thing here, you can sort of see it if I hold it up. Oh, yeah. It's a little Very green small. card. And a uh, little piece of hardware died. No, no driver updates or software updates or anything was going to save the day. Is, I get online. I figure out what I need to order. $20. I order it from Amazon because it was easier than like going to New Egg or something like that where I don't have an account. What's New Edge? New Egg. It's a... Egg. Uh, it's a... A supply store for computers and various fishy. technology things. No, I've ordered but they, stuff. That was like that go, go to place before Amazon just took over everything. Yeah, Newegg is a perfectly. I, I've ordered from them before. Go to Micro Center. Right. That, the other thing is, I looked, <laughs> I tried to source this part in town because I didn't want to wait two or three days. I wanted to have it so that I could replace it immediately. But that of proved course. to be impossible unless I wanted to drive like two hours, which is very silly. To a Micro Center? Somewhere. Not Best Buy. Best Buy doesn't fucking have them. Anyway, uh, for $20, I ordered from Amazon. It came. It took like four days. That was annoying, but it's fine. I got the piece. I installed it in my laptop. You know, I got out my little tool set with all the, the teeny tiny little screwdrivers and that sort of thing. Of I, I popped it in. I, I started it up again. 
and it worked. Like it was, I fixed it. And it's a very good feeling to take a, what seems to be like a piece of impenetrable hardware largely and actually do something to it to make it work again. Uh, it's right. highly satisfying. You're such a man. You're such a big, <laughs> strong man. So smart. <laughs> you know how, uh, at, at least in the last few months, there's been stories online about Apple or iPhone, like this right to repair thing. Like if you had a Apple product, you would not be able to do what you just did. Is right. that what that is? Basically, for that, you have to go to these geniuses or whatever to do it. But like right. with a Windows, you anyone can do it. Uh, sort of. I mean, it's complicated in there. And I probably, you know, who knows what I did to the machine ultimately by opening it up. And I'm sure I voided all of the various warranties <laughs> if I was still under warranty. But this right, is but a it thing that so should, far, be, it right? should be far yeah. more common. Like, because it, this is not a cheap machine, but like ultimate compared to like what we used to pay for computers, it's a relatively cheap machine. It's, yes. I think I've eight or $900 I spent on this laptop uh, a couple of years ago now. I think I, I bought it right as we were getting started with the podcast. I think it was less than $1,000. But anyway, the point is that we were promised not even that long ago much more modularity in our technology going forward. Because as as we sort of come to the point where Moore's Law stops giving us the return on investment that we've been expecting it for the last number of generations, which is like everything just gets uh, – you can cram – because Moore's Law is just you can cram more data into smaller spaces exponentially, right? Like every two years, the amount of data that you can put on something the size of your, your right. thumbnail – uh, doubles is what the the idea is. And that that is slow. That's no longer the case. But the idea is that we've sort of perfected the laptop. We've perfected the phone. It's the size that the, the, these things are the size that they're going to be. And the individual component pieces, it doesn't matter how much smaller we make them or how much bigger we make them, the fundamental technology has already been decided, right? Like it's sort of a, right. it's sort of a static piece of thing that we... Uh, we, we've achieved a certain level. We've plateaued with the technology is what I'm trying to say. And with the dawn of that era, we were supposed to get a more modular future. There was this thing uh, from years ago, like the, there was this modular cell phone. Like I've never donated to one of the GoFundMes or the, the what do you call them? The, uh, startups. Not startups. but Egg. Not Brain. GoFundMe, but... Kickstarter. Uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter <laughs> yes. campaign. Let's talk about movies now. Yeah. There was a Kickstarter campaign for a modular phone that was going to have like different pieces and like you just pop out the battery piece and you can replace the battery piece and you pop out the camera chunk and you can pop in a new camera chunk and maybe the memory this, or the processor or whatever. And they never this from the, never came to uh, fruition. Because who wants that? Yeah. Yeah, who also who was the company? Was it OnePlus or was it some other? I don't remember. I doing don't that? remember. What okay, it was. I, that sounds familiar. And you're right uh, to, to Laura's point. Like, what, what, did they look into there being a demand, or they just imagined it? Like, in some I don't know, but it's of a, it's of a piece with the right to repair stuff, right? Which is that I want to be able to, if something happens to my laptop. Granted, even if it's only a nine hundred dollar machine. I don't want to have to replace my laptop every two years. I want to be yes. able to up, update or upgrade the parts within the laptop and right. make it all work together. Bob tried this with our toaster a year or two ago. Our toaster broke. It's true, I did. And Bob <laughs> was not ready to cut the loss of like the $50 toaster. 
he was like, no, I'm going to buy $40 worth of That's toaster right. bulbs. First and, of all, this is and like, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy twelve of them. This was like a hundred and thirty dollar uh, infrared toaster, like right? From it was like a Panasonic. It was a toaster. It was, it a, was fucking, a toaster. It was a oven. fucking Panasonic toaster. We're not talking about uh, some Black and Decker shit from the Walmart. This is a Panasonic. This is pra- it's practically like a luxury vehicle that you park outside. How long have you had this product? We had before had it, it for a couple years. Right, and then yeah. one of the lamps, uh, like I watched the lamps short out. Like it, it's just big, bright flash of light, like the sun in my kitchen there. And then it was just done. And then only the bottom bulb worked. And so I got online and I found a replacement bulb. And what they sent me was a dozen of them, even though I only ordered one. And I double checked the receipt. I only paid for one, but they sent me like a whole like contractor's pack of the fucking things. By accident, I assume. I assume one by mean accident, like a yeah. dozen or uh, And then I and then it's I because they didn't need them, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, they're like finally somebody ordered. Because when your toaster breaks, just get a new toaster is what we've learned. Unless you want to spend like two hundred dollars, seems to be the sweet spot. I've asked the rich people. I've I've surveyed the rich people. A lot of them have $400 toasters, but not yeah. all of them have $400 toasters. Some of them have $200 toasters for years. And like like, te- like a decade, this toaster is good. I don't believe it. Yeah. Linda that, probably... wouldn't lie to me. Linda would never right. steer me wrong. She's so great. They probably did think you were a hobbyist. Like, there's no way somebody's actually replacing this old piece of shit, right? They must be Look, a weekend <laughs> warrior type. <laughs> we're getting off give topic here. No, we're not. The point. What is it you want out of the world, Bob? In order to reduce waste and overconsumption, right. it should be easier to fix things. And I'm pleased right. with myself for having figured out what specifically was wrong with yeah, my laptop. Good. And obviously nobody just throws away a laptop because the wireless suddenly stops working. You you f- figure out the problem. But again, like if this were a different sort of machine, it would not be that easy because you try to open up a, a MacBook Pro and everything is glued the fuck down and nothing moves. And you can't – you're not allowed to fix it yourself. And there's, there's, right. there's, there should be more of that is all I'm saying. You're inclined to fix things, which is I guess a good thing, uh, but I almost never do. I mean a laptop or whatever, yes, but like – one of these uh, monitors at, at home, if they go down, I'm not tinkering. I'm replacing. So good on you, Bob. You're slightly better than I am. I guess so. Anyway, let's open up the WGAS news bag. Time for Who Gives a Shit News. You're a news bag. It's a big week in the news bag for commonly misspelled names, oddly. We'll, oh. We'll elucidate that moving forward, I'm sure. Brittany Griner, our first commonly misspelled name what was do you mean like they're misspelling her name well she is b-r-i-t-t-n-e-y which is one of approximately 11 different spellings of the name Brittany. there's no one right way of Brittany, yeah. right isn't that like there's no consensus it's not misspelled spelled. it's just spelled no, it's, i'm saying we have Brittany griner b-r-i-t-t-n-e-y i imagine her experience of okay. being a Brittany okay. is that she Got runs it. into frequent misspellings of her name Guaranteed. Brittany Griner. This week was freed in exchange for notorious arms dealer uh, Victor Boot. If you've had a movie made about you and you were played by <laughs> Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage, there's a yes. very good chance that the word notorious goes in front of any description yeah. <laughs> of you as a human being. And that holds with Victor Boot, who, by the way, frequently 
has his name mispronounced because it's and misspelled because it's B O U T. right? Yeah. And his name is Victor, but it's with a K. So that's just a different way. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. Frequent, frequently yeah. misspelled. Anyway, hey, this is a guy who has had access to large stockpiles of Soviet weaponry and frequently yes. sold them to enemies of America and other freedom loving yeah. nations. Unsavory types. Yes. Right. And uh, in all likelihood, many Americans and also other innocents around the world have died as a result of his dealings. Uh, Victor Boot is one of the worst people imprisoned by America oh. from another country, probably. He can't possibly be up there. He's just like a facilitator of stuff. He's not. I mean, All right. I get Abe your larger point. Abe in defense of that guy. Abe, Abe's no, gotta, no, what I'm Abe saying. says you gotta, sometimes you got to hand it to Victor Boot <laughs> on the record. Uh, whereas Brittany Griner, of course, was just a famous WNBA star. Who was right. playing in Russia for a professional women's basketball league over there because she can't make enough for money many years. over right. here. Right. Abe, was this a fair trade? So on paper, no. Uh, and also would have been – I guess it would have been – the ideal situation would have been to get that other guy who apparently – Paul uh, Whelan, yeah, know. W-H-E-L-A-N, also frequently okay. misspelled, I'm sure. Is he like CIA or something? Why, wh- uh, he's what, what a former the, what's, Marine, what's the right? And I know, dishonorably but discharged? Yeah, but it's odd that this is the second crack at him going home and he still hasn't because there was another guy, was it Trevor or whatever, the guy from last year or earlier this year. There was like another person who was up and he was released but not wheeling and it's happened again. Uh, but yeah, going back to the, the, the trade, on paper you can question it, but if you were in the position that the president wants, you almost have to take that deal any day that it's offered, right? This guy's, what, 14 years into a 25-year prison term, right? Basically, he's, he's on the back end of his prison term. He was going to get out He was going to get out by the end of this decade, from what I read. I right. think he was, he was going to be released by 2030, no later than, in all likelihood. Right. And I assume in the 14 years since he'd been out of the arms trading game, others have filled in the void, right? It's not like he had some sort of special set of skills that no one else could do. Someone sure. else was facilitating it's also, kind of like catching a dr- a big drug dealer big, for what it's worth big get i yeah. don't think i don't think that the russians are in any position to be uh, offloading old soviet weaponry any longer they <laughs> yeah, that's true. they very clearly need that shit so i'm not sure that his services are necessary any longer for putin right yeah but yeah i think like wherever you you fall on the good deal oh, it was kind of weird how it's treated almost like a, a as a sports trade like oh they're not getting as much back as it was a very weird formulation of how the story was presented but like you still have to make the deal even if you disagree with it. so the precept of leave no countrymen in enemy hands goes back to i would imagine basically the dawn of civilization almost what it means to have a country is to not allow other countries to hold your citizens hostage Right, like what? What other functions of a net besides the enrichment of uh, the despots and monarchs who claim dominion over uh, subjugated people? What other reason is there for countries to exist than to offer at least that degree of security to the people who who claim citizenship there? It's sort right. of it. It goes back to the. I mean, this is explained very clearly in like the Talmud. Like this goes back to early Bible days, like 3000 years ago, that like the Jews take extremely seriously this idea that you do not let 
anybody hang out in enemy hands. You just pay the fucking ransom. And I think it, there's, I mean, it gets a little bit poetic, but it, at very, there's some line in there about don't let you, the enemy have, if the enemy wants to ransom a corpse for a hundred of their living captives, then you make that trade. That you would, right. even just getting the body back is more important than than holding on to the enemy's prisoners. And I guess it's just a, it's a position from which I think a, a president has no good alternative, right? No good, because we always right. say we don't, negotiate with terrorists and Putin by taking hostage Brittany Griner and, and charging her with some nonsense about having like she had hemp oil or something that she right. was smoking in her vape and was sentenced to like eight years in a penal colony. Like, it's just uh, a ridiculous over over sentencing and uh, trumped up charges. And like, to be clear, I have no doubt that she had the the hemp oil or what have you, but if they wanted to, they could have just made that shit up as well. Yeah. And they will in all likelihood go, going forward. And of course, the reason that you don't want to negotiate with terrorists is because it puts a target on the back of every right. American like incentivizing. Uh, right. who travels outside of the country, presumably. And yeah, you don't want to incentivize that sort of behavior or reward it. But at the same time, like, I don't see any other thing that you can do as a nation besides attempt to win back your citizens if they're held in enemy hands. Right. And, and this is a similar kind of thing. But like I was reading this book, I forget the author, pretty good writer about this, uh, the peak Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Taliban years where they would uh, – uh, an American or a Frenchman or some Japanese uh, a person who was in Iraq or Afghanistan and they would be captured and there would be the risk of uh, or the threat of beheading, right? And the French uh, government would pay the money, the ransom, and just get their guy back or their, 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 their woman back. But the American had this policy of, no, it's just going to encourage more of this. And what would happen is Often, more often than not, the American would be beheaded. The right. French person would be released. They would get the money. And I, I'm not sure if that prevented future holdings of Americans, right? It, it, I think the uh, a second look needs to be had on this idea that you're incentivizing these things because it seems like bad things happen no matter what, right? So it's like get your person out or if you got to pay some money through some sideways so somebody doesn't get beheaded. Do it. Just right. like I don't understand what the upside of just not doing it is. Yeah, being the big strong man. Can't tell me what to do. I'm I'm yeah. big strong. You I don't care yeah. about that thing. I'm me. Yeah. Swallow your pride and pay the money. It's yeah. also telling that like we, we think of this in terms of uh we don't negotiate with terrorists, but this is a fellow considered anyway, like on the world stage, like this is fucking Russia. We're not talking about right. some failed state ostensibly anyway but putin's behavior is as a terrorist it is he's not right. op, if, if he's not going to operate in good faith on the international stage and makes a point of that by taking hostage wnba players and further requiring that in like uh, apparently the reason that paul whelan was not released along with Brittany griner is that the russians requested that this guy in germany who was arrested and sentenced there for committing a murder in broad daylight in some He's like park. a Russian who did it in Germany, right? Like right. A Russian, Russian, but a Russian goes to Germany. Germany and assassinates yeah. some local politician there. Or I don't know if he's a politician or just somebody involved with local politics there and is caught and arrested and sentenced to, I think, 15 or 25 years, like whatever the maximum penalty is for that sort of act okay. in Germany. 
And apparently they wanted that guy too, which is a weird, like you see in uh, major league baseball, it's like three, a three team or a four team trade. And it's like, all right, we're going to move this guy to Milwaukee, but then the first guy is going to go to Atlanta and this other guy is going to Oakland, like that sort of thing. So they tried to work that out with the Germans apparently, but that wasn't happening. Yeah, because what's, uh, what's in it for the Germans? Right. Like, So what do we get? You get an American <laughs> basketball player and uh, Paul Whelan, and we get nothing? Yeah. We just got to yeah. give up this guy? Yeah. Anyway, there's the last thing on this. There's a weird dissonance for me between the idea of what our collective duties are to Brittany Griner as a as a fact of her nationality, right? She's She is an American, yeah. like first and right. foremost, at least at, on this level. She is an American. And uh, the charges are bullshit, like just obviously bullshit. Like Sure, and the charges are nonsense. Yeah. And it's not like she, she didn't go over there and like like flout the rule the, the right. customs and, and laws right. of, of the place that she was visiting and there like that idiot who goes to North Korea and is like uh, proselytizing Christian yep. stuff or something like that. Oh, like, yeah, that guy, like yeah, yeah, we feel bad about it, but like what are you doing, yeah. you fucking moron? Don't go to North Korea. And expect to be able to preach the gospel on the street corner or something and not get fucked up. Anyway, she wasn't doing that. She just had some hemp oil or something. Uh, and she's been in the country many years, and it's likely this was a thing that wasn't a thing until they enforced it. They just wanted to catch an American, a high-profile enough American, to do this trade. Right. There's this weird dissonance between the fact of her Americanness and how that is the the primary concern here. And the elevation of her personal identity markers in every other context, in every other conversation that we have oh, about yeah. Brittany Griner is she's a black, lesbian, gay, woman. like a woman, right? She's a black woman, lesbian. And like that somehow has this sort of uh, the way that they talk about it is it makes it the most pri- the, the thing with the most primacy is all of her individual characteristics when fundamentally all that all that matters here is the fact of her americanness right right yeah so the well, the, the her the personal details of her unique yes or or particular identity markers are completely inconsequential they're to not, this conversation they're not, though. yes in a way they're completely inconsequential but also like she would die in prison sooner being a minority 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 than ex marine would. Okay, but then if we're like if we're going to start playing that sort of game, then you have to say, well, maybe the black woman lesbian shouldn't have gone to Russia, which has got an obvious like. But but then you're not supposed to say that either. Like well, but you're also you're, like other dude, this ex marine guy was probably doing bad spy shit. Like he was doing worse stuff than she was doing. I mean, it's to your point, like none of this should matter, but like right. she is in many ways way more fucked over than that guy was. It's just telling in do, the way that th- it's th- think b- that, that who celebrates the return of this person and who is like sort of hesitant to. And it gets to right to the, the dumbest parts of the culture war, mm-hmm. which is that like Joanne Reed is like thrilled and talking about Dark Brandon on Twitter. And you read through the comments under there and it's like, ah, oh, you know, it, 
great job getting the so and so, not not the not the American back, but all of the particular identity right. markers back. And then it gets turned around immediately by the worst actors on the right as saying the only reason that he chose Brittany Griner over Paul Whelan is that his particular constituency of Democrats and therefore also of black people and therefore also of women is going to be more concerned with the return of Brittany Griner than they would be necessarily with the return of Paul Whelan. And it becomes an incredibly stupid culture war thing. Yeah, it is interesting that the discussion is had at that level. I mean, but I guess that's online discourse for you. It becomes this weird thing. Uh, On the issue of the identity stuff, do you think that that played a role in any sort of calculation? No, I don't think it did. And I don't think that makes me naive. I think it makes all these other people just awfully cynical about this, that somehow Joe Biden was more interested in returning Brittany Griner. If anything, I think the cynical way to be is like she has relative celebrity status, I guess, compared to someone like Paul Whelan. Although at this point, like how much more celebrity status? Because Paul Whelan's been on the lips of everybody for the last week, right. just as much well, as Brittany Griner yeah, has. But we all, like I didn't know who she was until she got arrested in Russia. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard her name at, because like, you see her name the, in, you know, in headlines or what have you. Starting. Yeah, she won uh, the national titles at uh, what, Baylor? Sure. And yeah, maybe the NBA needs to play, pay the WNBA salaries a bit higher to prevent this sort of thing from happening, don't you think? But the NBA if, does this too. The, don't they go the, over to Russia and If China the WNBA too? had secured a similar deal as the United States men's national team had secured <laughs> from the women, had gotten those sorts of concessions, I don't think we'd be in this situation, do you? Uh, I, I would love to see somebody bring that up in the next negotiations, but no, I mean, I, I guess going forward, don't go until they they resolve the the issue with uh, their head of government there. But it's it's not ideal to go to Russia if you're like yeah, an I athlete. Yeah, nobody, none, none of these athletes should go play in Russia anytime soon. That seems very stupid. Right. Don't don't do that. Yeah, because right. I mean, there aren't that many uh, merchant of dust to trade you with. You know, like you may be stuck for a few years. Uh, until they find somebody else to right, trade you That's the other with, thing know? is we can't act – we can't re- – I mean I know that the U- United States is not blameless in this sort of thing. But we're not just going to go randomly sweeping up a bunch of Russians so that we have chips to trade, right? Like- uh, on that point, okay. So I was telling – you know, I-, I offer advice even off the show. You know, it's not just a thing I do for podcast uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I was, uh, so I was, saying, like- I was drafting this email to Vlad Putin this <laughs> No, I, was, I don't know, maybe a brother. Or, I was telling this to somebody in real life. Uh, like they should partner with a smaller country and they should do the dirty work, like to withhold some asshole, like maybe some small country in Europe or Asia. And America's hands are clean, but then they'll have some yeah. bargaining chips down Part- the road. Because partnering with smaller countries has worked really well for the United States in terms like Latin America and the <laughs> Middle East. <laughs> We're not toppling anyone over. We're not installing some puppet. Just like, hey, by the way, if you see this guy, Victor with a K, arrest this guy. We'll figure it out later. All right. Moving along to uh, more frequently misspelled names in the news bag, we have Raphael Warnock who defeated the observably stupid Herschel Walker last Tuesday. <laughs> is that not the traditional way to, to spell Raphael? Raphael is with a PH. I've seen it with P-H an F. or an F. Uh, in there as well. Okay. And then Herschel is just sort of, I mean, it's not frequent. I mean, who said I don't that? Know, that? There's not a lot of alternative spellings of Herschel. C H. But it's just slightly S-H. strange. Yeah. Is that a, uh, a Chappelle of the observably stupid? Yes, the, the observably stupid quote is from Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. It's... it's Poor Herschel. 
Uh, he's fine. Herschel, he'll go away and he'll be fine. Herschel lost to Warnock. Warnock now finally will have that seat for the next six years. It took only took him two years and four elections, four elections. to right. secure yeah. a full Senate term. Abe, hey, what what should we uh, learn from what happened in your home state there last Tuesday? Well, the uh, this uh, term is uh, I've seen it used so often for twenty twenty two the midterms. I haven't heard it before this, but candidate quality. You keep on all the all the Republicans are like, oh, it came down to candidate quality, and they'll point to the top of the ticket. You know, Kemp did very well, and Herschel Walker less so. So the story isn't. The party is dead. It's the the candidate. If you have a shitty candidate, you're gonna have a shitty outcome. And at least in Georgia, I think that probably still holds some water. Like you know, like I think states like Pennsylvania and Michigan have shifted blue enough to where, you know, I think the Republicans are in trouble. But Georgia, if you put it, somebody competent who's a Republican, they'll be okay. Right. So you would probably say the same thing about Virginia, except that we elected a Republican in 2021 yeah, to be our governor, yeah. right? So you would. And I, and I saw after this happened, I was watching MSNBC on Tuesday night, and they went to the Warnock campaign room where they were having their party. And Boy, were they having fun. It looked yeah, like they were like having a New Year's Eve party or something. Not, like. not so much fun over at, <laughs> over at Go Dog Central. I think it was at the College Football Hall of Fame, I think, is where uh, Herschel was uh, yeah. posted. But they were – this guy was saying that Dems now believe that by the time this seat comes up again in 2028, that Georgia will be so reliably blue that this will be an easy hold for either Warnock or and that's assuming he hasn't by that point jettisoned off to to further national prominence and become right. the president or something along those lines. That's uh, that it, it, it will just be a, a seat that the Democrats hold moving forward. Because well we've won all of these Senate elections in Georgia in the last couple of years. We're, this is barely a, though, and, like, and, we, and we elected Joe Biden president. We, this right. is now a fully purple state. We're basically Virginia now, and uh, we don't have to worry about the Georgia Senate seats moving forward. And I think that that is a profoundly stupid overreading of the results oh, yeah. in Georgia this time around. As I said at the beginning of the year, and I think next week. We'll do our sort of predictions wrap up because my guess is that will be the last. Predicting what? What are you talking about? No, so like last. Oh, last year's predictions. Your prior predictions, not future. I think that when we record next Monday, it will be the last time that we record in 2022. And it will only give us a mere matter of days for Jimmy Carter to finally kick the bucket and, and prove Abe correct. I got my Google alerts on. But, anyway, what I said at the start of the year is that Georgia is the most interesting state this year. I think that was before a stroked out lurch was going to be going up against uh, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, which turned out to right. be, be nicer, pretty interesting. But ultimately, Georgia did prove to be a quite interesting state this year. But what I said was, it's going to be an incredibly interesting state in terms of the results, but it's not going to tell us anything about the next 10 years in American politics, whatever right. happens there. Right. And I think that that absolutely holds true. What happened in Georgia this year tells me Nothing about the future of the Democratic Party in the state of Georgia. All it tells me is that uh, Trump candidates and Trump himself continue to be humiliated anytime they go up uh, for a national election 
at the at the like in Georgia at the that, right. that maybe local politics when you're electing a Marjorie Taylor Greene or your whatever the fuck local psychotic uh, MAGA Republican uh, state senator that you're electing that's one thing, but the state of Georgia as a whole does not appear to be willing to send like nationally humiliating figures right. on to uh, represent them at the federal level, and that's the only thing that you can say about what happened here because. Uh, as you said, Kemp won running away from Stacey Abrams. This is not a progressive state all of a sudden. This is not a blue state all of a sudden. It's an entirely red state with the exception of uh, these, senator, these senators and the weird fact that Biden happened to win in 2020. Right. I think uh, you, you can't, you know, I guess you can say that Georgia is a competitive state in the past. It was not right. So that's concerning if you're a Republican, right? And, you know, it's kind of hard to tell what happened six years from now in 2028 before uh, Warnock is on the ballot again. Uh, Ossoff, his uh, 2020 uh, teammate, uh, is going to be up first, and that's going to be after the 24 election. So we'll see how that goes. You'll know where Georgia stands in 26 before you do 28. But it is trending in the wrong direction for Republicans. Same thing with Arizona. You'll also know in 24 when they inevitably select, the as long as the Republican nominee is not Donald Trump, nobody else is winning the state of Georgia. Like There's not a a Democrat who's going to beat any Republican unless that Republican is Donald Trump. I don't know about that, but I I think they would rather have somebody up uh, for grabs because now it's pretty much locked in that if Trump were to run, he would lose Georgia again, right? So it's like at least with a DeSantis whatever, like you can make the case that no DeSantis uh, at the top of the ticket would actually win Georgia and that would be plausible. But it's it's also almost certain that Trump would lose, right? So basically it's like what do you have to lose? Try something else and see if it works, but like I said, I think Georgia and and uh, Arizona, those two states, if they are shifting, then North Carolina is not far behind. I mean, I think North Carolina is a few years behind where Georgia is, and if that shifts too, then it yeah, doesn't but matter that's how. The thing. This is the thing: is I don't think that we can talk about any shift until we've. Well, there's clearly been a removed, shift. I mean, until we've removed right. Donald Trump from the from the e- equation, like we d- we just don't know the shape of things as long as they continue to put insane uh, in in terms of candidate quality. People like, I mean, even like Masters, terrible candidate. Carrie Lake, terrible candidate. Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, dreadful, possibly the worst candidate. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there there have been and Herschel. I mean, somehow like it's a toss up probably whether Mastriano or Herschel was a worse actual candidate. In terms of results, probably Mastriano was worse because he would be the governor of a state, and Herschel would just be a backbencher senator uh, in a seat that didn't ultimately matter. But but yeah, I, I just I don't think that there's anything to know about any of these states until we purge Trump from the equation. Are you extending that to Trump acolytes? Like, you know, like a Herschel Walker. What if uh, Marjorie, what's her face, were to run in the Senate seat in 26? You know, like somebody that's from that branch of the party, right? Like, wouldn't it be the same situation? I think like anyone who runs on that that platform would face similar challenges. Right. It's not just Trump. That's the thing. I don't think 
once we get past 24, assuming that Trump either doesn't run as a as an independent, if he fails to get the Republican nomination and then decides not to absolutely murder the National Republican Party by running as an independent, then we can start talking about where a Marjorie Taylor Greene goes from here, right? Like if, right. if she has any sort of future in the party. And I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Moving on, next piece in the WGAS news bag is uh, often misspelled and mispronounced. Uh, Kirsten Cinema has broken from the Democrats and announced that she will be an independent senator for the state of Arizona rather than a Democrat, uh, making her the third independent senator following in the footsteps of those goofy New Englanders, uh, Bernie King Sanders, and, Sanders right? yeah. and, and Angus King. It's a different sort of independence, right? It's not that that hardy Yankee bullshit that the uh, that the Mainers and the New Hampshireites are are or Vermonters rather are big fans of. It's a more wishy washy sort of Gen X or bisexual sort of uh, independence. You Where might is? you might say Vermont. <laughs> no, Arizona. Oh. Anyway, uh, Kirsten has decided she's not going to call herself a Democrat any longer. She is going to keep her committee assignments though and. Although she, I don't think she announced explicitly that she's going to caucus with the Democrats, but it's basically effectively she's going to caucus with the Democrats. And uh, presumably she's doing this not just because she's a troll, but because she thought that she would likely be primaried out of her seat in Arizona, given her lack of commitment to various progressive causes that got her in trouble uh, over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, Does this matter? First of all, and further, I had a second half of that question, but no, go ahead with does it matter? So in the immediate future, it doesn't matter at all because by all accounts, she's going to continue to caucus with the the Democrats. She's going to keep her all her perky positions that she has currently. Everything's going to be the same, but she's getting ahead of the likely defeat in the Democratic primary in Arizona. So get ahead of that, not be even part of that process. Maybe she thinks she can raise her profile. It should be like a Lisa Murkowski kind of thing, like Alaska, which is a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. Cinema's ceiling uh, is Lisa Murkowski. That's, no, I'm, that's the I'm plan. trying to think from her vantage. I think she's kind of uh, out of it. Like Because I, I was watching her little... Uh, uh, piece that she did for uh, the Arizona voters, like this is what they signed me, this is what they brought me to Washington for, or something it's like. No, that, no, it's not. There's no way that when right. people are voting for you, they had this in mind that you would, as soon as it was feasible, I, you would. I imagine ship. she she's received many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of votes over the course of her career. I suppose she's appealing to some people. She's not appealing to me uh, as, a, <laughs> as a politician. Uh, I I find her distasteful in a number of ways, and. I don't think this matters, and I don't think – like if this is some sort of ploy to to build some sort of national brand and position herself for, for future office, like a, like a presidential run, I don't see it working. I mean uh, it, would, it would have to almost be something along those lines because the alternative is – I mean right now – I mean first of all, she was a part of the Green Party, which was the shakiest of all political parties. I haven't heard one good story from a former member of the Green Party. I don't no. know what's going on over there. She becomes a Democrat. Now she's an independent. Who knows? A few years from now, she'll be uh, rebranded something else. But like right now, Arizona is not only voting in cinema; they're also voting in Kelly and 
candidates that don't even show up for debates or whatever, right? Just as long as you're like, you got a D next to your name, we don't want these crazy Carrie Lake types, so we'll vote you in, right? And so that voting base is not going to be into what she just did, I would imagine, right? So like in 2024, you're going to have, if they put someone competent, if the Republicans put someone competent to run in the 2024 Senate race, they will likely win because the cinema vote will siphon off from whomever they select in the Democratic side. Right. So, so, of, so I in. imagine that a great deal depends on what she actually does and how she behaves and how she votes over the course of the next year or so. If Schumer is going to decide to fund a primary opponent against her, right? Like but I imagine, this is a bad, yeah, yeah. I imagine that she can, she could conceivably make the case to Schumer that either you do not primary me and allow me to run as an independent, or we're going to hand the seat over to the Republicans. And so she's she can sort of hold that over his head, which lets, at least for now, further, she can hold the committee seats over his head because it makes his life that much easier to just functionally treat her as a Democrat and keep the 51 seats rather than the 50, just in terms of how the stupid internal rules of the Senate work. He doesn't have to negotiate with McConnell right, as I much. I would imagine other voices will be heard, like especially in Arizona. So it doesn't matter what deal she strikes with a Schumer, and I don't think that she has the leverage to do it anyways. I mean, basically, you get to keep your assignments, uh, and that's it. Like, that's a that's the trade-off. You're yeah, not I mean, get yeah, I agree, else. and that comes down to how much control does the national par- can can the national party af- affect on the individual goings on in a state like Arizona? And the answer is probably not enough to keep right. all of the Democrats from declaring themselves uh, uh, potential rivals. And yeah, again, at that point, it becomes: Does Blake Masters come back and try to win the race, or some other sort of even worse? Trumpier type person, whether Carrie Lake finally admits that she's not going to be the next governor and decides she'd like to be the senator in 24, right. then maybe you can stand up and, and plausibly imagine a, a, a three-way race that has an uncertain outcome. But any reasonable Republican stiff should be able to wipe the floor with uh, a split vote between cinema voters and Democrat right. voters. Does this say anything about the parties? Because I... Uh, the sort of thing that you see from time to time when you talk about Republicans and their willingness to to cohere, to stay Republicans, to stay as unified Republicans at, right. a, at, at the worst times. Like you don't see Mitt Romney breaking off and saying, I'm an independent because of all of the awful things that Donald Trump has done to my party and all of my former friends and the way that the party has treated me. No, Mitt Romney still is as rock-ribbed uh, Republican as he ever was, right? Uh, certainly yes. more so even than he was back when he was effectively a Democrat in Massachusetts. So – uh, given their willingness to play ball for the team that that brought them, and the fact that this that isn't the case with Democrats, where they tolerate the Bernie Sanders of the world, the Angus Kings of the world, and the Kirsten Cinemas of the world, does that say anything about these parties and the reasons for their success or lack thereof at the national level? That somehow the Democrats are willing to tolerate a sort of incoherence and, and, a, and an independent streak that even somebody like John McCain, who's a Republican forever— Right. Despite branding himself as this maverick, as this outside the box thinker who Republicans hate even more than Democrats hate. Right. right. Whereas right. his buddy, Joe Lieberman, is like, well, I'm just not a Democrat anymore. Now I'm a now I'm an independent and I'm going to get elected as an independent. 
That that is interesting. I do wonder if they did the count. How often do Republicans? I don't think of too many cases where a Republican became independent. They have declined to seek reelection. Right? They just just fuck off. Right? I guess. Oh, I voted against Trump, and now it didn't. The gambit failed, and now I'm going to disappear. Right. There's something about being a Republican that says. I'm Jeff Flake, and I'm not going to become an independent right. to try to keep my seat. I'm just, I'm just kicked out of the party, and I'm going to go right. fucking cry about it on the Senate floor. But I'm just, I just can't be a politician anymore because I can't be a Republican in this way anymore. Right. It, I, I guess it, it seems like uh, for at least, you know, I guess Sanders and King are different examples than what cinema is. Right. Cinema is more like she needs the the apparatus of the Democratic Party for her to have a chance to beat a competent Republican challenger. And since she is going to be primaried, she finds herself in this weird position to where, like, I can either just fuck off like a, you know, like a flake or somebody saying, you know, the party's not where I am. And so I'm not going to seek reelection. I did my six years and I'm going to get some cush job at some lobby firm. Right. Uh, instead of doing that, Cinema is basically like going to sabotage any Democrat that comes from the left, right, by being the independent candidate. So this, to me, seems like more of a sabotage campaign than anything else. Yeah. I don't think it's like King no, and it's probably not. But I, I do think there's something there. I think it says something about the fundamental natures of these political ideologies, that one is is sort of more inherently fastidious about maintaining people in the party line. Now, there's a lot of talk of like rhinos, right? Like we hear all the time about right. rhino, Republicans in name only. But in a way, that serves their interests in a way that the hardcore members of that party don't always like to admit, right? And it's right. having people who still are willing to call themselves Republicans, even though they don't toe the line 100% of the time, all of the time, they still play for your team. And like yeah. we hear all the time this week, oh, Kirsten Cinema had a 93% adherence to Joe Biden's policies. The way that she voted in the Senate, which is one of the most ludicrous, it's, it's the most worthless. I, I imagine that at some point in the past, the amount of times that you voted with your president fucking mattered because they actually right. had votes all the time and people yeah. crossed lines and 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 would vote with the opposition ever, because it, we weren't so ideologically sorted the way that we yeah, are now issue it, dependent yeah. right like, it's a completely worthless statement that comes out of right. these people's mouth and i heard it a thousand times this week that well right. kirsten cinema votes with the president 90 plus percent of the time so she's been a good democrat it's like they all do because they only have fucking four votes a year anyway that actually right. get to the floor so this idea that somehow somebody voted this many times with such and such is just a, it, it, if it ever applied, but, and I suppose it did in the past, it's no longer a useful tool for measuring anything. Now, you know, you, you brought up the rhino charge, you know, the Republican in name only. Aren't we at least with the Sanders and King, they're independents in name only? They, I mean, if you closed your eyes, you couldn't distinguish them from a Democratic senator, right? They vote yeah. the same way. They, so it's like, in what way are you independent? You just don't want any of the negative baggage that comes with the party. Yeah, I don't know. What I know, though, what I know for sure, though, is that I'd rather, like, go, like, sit down and have a beer with Angus King than, like, Chris Coons or whatever. Like, I don't right. know if that – I don't know if that's <laughs> necessarily – It's not if there's anything, Chris Coons – I don't know if there's anything it, there inherently, <laughs> but I'd rather hang out with Angus King and Bernie Sanders 
than Chris Coons and Brian Schatz, you know? Right. Yeah. But what, what I, I don't like, I mean, the, not to relitigate the 2016 election, but like the people who are like, oh, I'm independent because you don't want, obviously, naturally, the baggage that comes with one of these two parties. You know, some idiot Republican does something in Washington State, and now you're in Georgia having to answer for it because you guys belong to the same party. Sim- similar issue with the Democrats. Some Yahoo said something, and now you're some senator from Vermont. You're like, oh, not me. I'm different. I'm independent. And then when it comes to running for president, then you want to avail yourself of all the all that's available to the party. That's why people join parties, right? Because right. there's a trade-off. You can't just have it both ways, right? So, so it's like, speak, speaking of that, if you take all of these people who are like if, – if you could unite the anti-Trumpers and the sort of – the independent-minded Democrats into some sort of – like would that ever be a formidable – power in washington in any way if like flake and toomey and uh, it was a north carolina guy i think who got the boot for being not sufficiently trumpy and like i don't know mike dewine from ohio uh, conceivably could have translated his staying power in ohio into something that exists beyond the republican brand i don't know maybe there's something there maybe there's not and also and mitt romney Right. But the thing is with uh, any sort of reconfiguration, it would have to work immediately. You can afford two or three election cycles for it to take off. Oh, we got 30 percent of the vote this time. By 2028, we'll be at majority. Like it would have to succeed immediately. Right. It would have the- it would have to happen with the with Donald Trump's declaration that I didn't get the Republican nomination. Right. So I'm now an independent. And right. you would immediately see a cleaving of the party right down the Trump line and if the if the Republicans could survive it, it would be for the best. Uh, they would they would probably be in the wilderness for that that four to six to eight years at a minimum. Uh, right. But who knows? All right, uh, stretching this uh, conceit of the WGAS <laughs> mispronounced names thing to the to the breaking point. There's a potential big breakthrough in fusion technology. Fission often confused with fusion. And also, uh, people can't say the word nuclear to save their lives. Nuclear. Right. Nuclear. Big breakthrough, potentially, or maybe it will be as apt an inclusion in the WGAS news bag as anything imaginable, as in nothing will come of it and we'll never hear anything about it again. But tomorrow, when this podcast comes out, presumably at some point Tuesday, there will be an announcement from the Secretary of Energy about a very exciting breakthrough in the field of creating fusion on planet Earth. Fusion, of course, being the thing that happens on the on the sun where the and in stars where hydrogen atoms are are combined in such a way uh, with such energy as to create helium instead because the the hydrogen breaks and it becomes helium and of course that creates a great deal of heat in an unpleasant sort of way in the sun and it's a it's a non-stop reaction and the idea was to do it in a controlled environment on planet earth and what they seem to have potentially achieved finally is they put X amount of energy into the system. And instead of getting, let's say, W, as in less than X out, they got Y amount of energy right. out, which was slightly more than X. Now, it's not exactly – that's not exactly true. So apparently they got something like 120% return on the amount of la- – because they what they do – is they point a whole bunch of lasers at a very small area, 
attempting to create uh, plasma fire, for lack of uh, a smart way of describing the situation. And what they're measuring is how much energy from the lasers are going into that very small amount of space and then how much energy it's being produced off of it. They're not counting all of the power that's behind the lasers in order right. to make the lasers work, right? So in a sense, they're not, they have not gotten a net positive gain in terms of like everything that they've done. But in terms of the specific reaction of the lasers creating more return on investment than they actually put into it, they apparently had some success with that. Right. And full disclosure, I don't know anything about this story other than what I've read and the 20-minute YouTube clip that I watched. So consider right. me an expert. Uh, from what I gather, <laughs> this is going to be one of those things where we're 10 to 20 years away, like in perpetuity. Basically, oh, we'll be like 80 years uh, old. Uh, in, I don't know about in perpetuity. We it, could in, be. That's, hey, 20-minute video clip uh, <laughs> if you want me to share it with you. We could be 30 years away, potentially, from seeing any sort of return on this. That is absolutely true. But this is something that has been achieved seemingly for the first time. There have been little hints of this over the past few, like four or five years ago or something. There was something that they got briefly excited about, but it turned out to be nothing. If this is legit, this is a very, very big deal. And could be, this. it's the sort of breakthrough that once figured out how to make larger than something that happens at the scale of a nine volt battery, right? Which is like, I mean, that's a bad example, but like you take something that effectively can't, you can't do anything with, and you have to try to scale that into uh, transforming the way the entire globe gets its energy. It's going right. to take a while. Yes. But this could be the sort of thing. It could be the, like literally the biggest news of the century is that this is, we found the thing that's going to do the thing that's going to get us permanently off of fossil fuels. And is, it, uh, is there any chance that like the thing explodes? Like, again, my, my knowledge is quite limited. Like, well, it's like when they, you fuck when it they, up to when, where when like, the it first, ruins the planet. When they did the first test of the atomic bomb, they weren't sure that the splitting of that first atom wasn't going to result in all of the other atoms splitting because they'd split that one, that there would be that the chain reaction would be such oh. that we're going to test this bomb and we're not sure what's going to happen. There's like a one in 100 chance that this is just going to end life in the universe as we know it. Uh, but we got to figure it out because if we don't, then the Nazis will. So, so we might as well give it a shot. And, um, and also, if, if something did go sideways, we wouldn't even be cognizant of it. The world would just end. Would just, right, it would just be over. We'd so be talking right now. And right. that would be that. And yeah, I assume that they are taking measures to make sure that that sort of uh, reaction can't get entirely out of control. And it's just an incredibly exciting thing and very cool. And hopefully something comes of it on the very long run. If true. If true. Was that? All of what you said, if any of this actually yes, pans if out. true. If true. Uh, last thing in the WGS news bag is uh, the, the Twitter files, an ongoing release of the Twitter files. And we've now enlisted somebody named Schellenberger has released a couple of tweet threads about Michael Schellenberger, whose name rings a bell, but I can't remember why. And Barry Weiss has also started releasing uh, her portion of the Twitter files. And Taibbi did another thread. He did a part two. So and did uh, Elon Musk like give access to like those three journalists? Specifically so far, yeah. That's, that's what we know is that he okay. gave access to these three journalists collectives because barry's not just doing it herself she's got a, a, a team of four or five people working on it 
and I don't know what Schellenberger's deal is, but I don't really want to talk about them at all because I don't think it's particularly nothing has shocked me that I've seen in any of the Twitter files. I do think it is good just in terms of it is interesting to see the internal back and forth uh, between people making these sorts of decisions. And it's the sort of thing that I think should be public, uh, period. If you're going to be a publicly traded company and you're going to present yourself as – not in any sort of legal way, by the way. Not like we sh- the United States government demands that we see all internal communications of Twitter.com in order to uh, – because it's sort of this public utility. Not Not for that reason. I just think that it is a public good to have these sorts of conversations out in public if you're going to present yourself as – uh, a public square, which is the way that uh, Twitter originally sort of sold themselves. And further, each release generates this absurd reaction, both among the, the typical liberal chattering class and also their antagonists, where all of the yeah. psychotics on the right are talking about how this this proves everything, that, every, that, that everything that we've always warned you about is true. And the people on the left are like, ah, oh, it's big nothing burger, man, nothing to see here. And you guys are all idiots. It's like, no, this is actually just sort of a, an interesting story. And yes, it is unfortunate that it's being presented by Musk in this highly reactionary way by people like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss, who, no matter what you think of their work, will be not pleasantly reacted to by the entire mainstream because they have elected to do their work outside of that mainstream. And it's frustrating to watch on that level because I don't think anyone functionally is having the rational conversation about the thing that's actually in front of us because the the people on the right are obsessed with dunking with on the people on the left and the people on the left are insisting that there's nothing to see here when i think there right. is something interesting to see here well i mean first of all i would be interested to find out what that interesting thing is in this because i haven't really followed the story because i'm assuming i don't know why uh, i assume this but i'm assuming at some point when the dust settles There'll be a full accounting. All right, this is the full story. This is what happened. (laughs) Abe's like anxiously awaiting the arrival of the long piece in the New York Times magazine on this to to explain it to him. Because this very weird, self-involved, and it's like very localized. I there hasn't been any uh, breakthrough to like other media outlets. It's not like the morning shows are picking this up. It's just online. You just have to go to Twitter right. it's the and I'll see somebody retweeting. Of, of a, a culture war thing that's happening in a very specific, like it's a tempest in a very specific tweet pot. It's yeah. not even like it's, you can't even say that it's a tempest in a teapot because it's something that's happening in this very specific thing among a very particular group of people, which is just hyper online journalists, basically. Yes. This yeah. is the only story where this is having any impact is with people obsessed by media coverage. Uh, self not accepted, right? Like I recognize <laughs> yeah. that that is sort of the the water that I swim in when I log on to Twitter.com. But I do think that it also betrays this sort of the, the, the feeling that I get some, when, I, when I say things like none of this shit fucking matters, when I get super frustrated with all this and I'm like, none of this shit fucking matters. Like right. you cannot stress enough 
how much it doesn't matter that these, these are the conversations that the people inside Twitter were having. I, I, I maintain that it's interesting and I think it should be done in public, but also it doesn't fucking matter that these are the conversations the people inside Twitter were having because it had no material impact on 90% of the rest of the world. You cannot right. tell me that the things that happened at Twitter in 2016 and then and, and moving forward to 2020 and after January 6th had any impact on the actual world in a meaningful way like even removing donald trump from twitter as big a deal as that is doesn't fucking matter when donald trump talks we all find out about it and it doesn't matter if he talks on twitter or not and so this insistence that what twitter was doing was having some sort of a meaningful material impact on democracy writ right. large is fucking absurd and it gives right. these people both on the right and the left this sense of self-importance that the thing that they're doing this thing that they're wildly overinvested in the thing that happens on twitter is what actually matters in the world when it's absolutely not right is, is there going to be a big final release or is, is I don't know. Like an indefinite I don't know. Like, number of files that that exists. It seems like Musk is, unfortunately, Musk has the reins here, right? And he's insisted that all of this be done in tweet threads on, like, and like, I know that Barry Weiss's freepress.com is producing articles as well in addition to tweet threads. But yeah, I'm with you. I would like to see an actual accounting of this whole thing at some point. Beyond that, it's like, Okay, so we're releasing the the internal Twitter Slack channel. Like that is interesting to the extent that it's interesting, but I'm I'm not with the people on the left who are saying that none of this matters or or that none of this is interesting. And I'm but I'm also certainly not with the hyperbolic reactionaries on the right who are saying that this is the biggest deal in the history of media. Right, but if you yeah, if you're going to say that, at least come on, give me something. Like just throw me a bone. Give me some scandalous aspect of the story. I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't want to see Hunter Biden's dick or anything. I'm just saying, uh, give me something that shows that Twitter did some sort of colluding. Something. Give me something. Sure, and I think it matters that like it's it, and it's interesting and important if the FBI or the DOJ or other government agencies have regular contact with the people at Twitter who decide what it what is or is not published on that platform. Like that, that that matters, right? And what we certainly don't want is we don't want people inside the executive branch having direct contact with what is and is not allowed on Twitter or Facebook or the internet writ large. Like that would be a problem. And that's the sort of thing that should be hashed out in a reasonable, legible, professional way. And that's certainly not what's happening with the Twitter files, either on either from the actual release of them or in the what should be the more adult response to the actual substance of the things. Right. All right. Uh, zip up the, the WGAS news bag. We're done with that. I briefly want to talk about something that I, I put in the group chat a couple weeks ago, and I don't think you guys responded to it. But that's fine. The NPR thing? No. Uh, all of that was funny, too. Lori's talking about a, a headline from NPR that, that was pondering, uh, why did Latin identity become fodder for people on the internet? Like, oh, gee, NPR, I don't know why people care about things like uh, identity markers. I can't imagine, you fucking pieces of shit. Uh, anyway, this is a, uh, from a review of The Whale on Slate.com. As with everything else, I'll make sure there's a link to this in the show note. Head on over to BrainIron.com for that. Uh, this is a movie starring Brendan Fraser as a 600-pound, morbidly obese homosexual 
who is about to die of congestive heart failure, apparently. The movie, I think it made the festival rounds, and I think it comes out in theaters this month, maybe in limited release before eventually going to streaming. I think it's already out in, like, the fancy cities like L.A., New York, but down here in right. Atlanta, I think it's, like, a couple of weeks away. Also, it's uh, uh, despite the uh, high praise of the acting and the whatever, like, it's like under 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like Right. Aronofsky doesn't always do great with the critics, though. He's a weird filmmaker. He's good. Uh, and He's what he is. He's not good. He's very good at making movies. You don't have to necessarily like the movies, I think. I think that's fair. But anyway, uh, there's a good deal of controversy around this movie because Frazier is notably not a 600-pound man nor gay and so there's a, an issue of representation there, where is it acceptable for a person who, yes, might have struggled with his weight uh, since leaving uh, the Hollywood spotlight 10 or 15 years ago, but certainly never became uh, 600 pounds and we don't think is gay anyway. So there's a little bit of that where it's like uh, people are giving it hell because he's not, not, not the thing that he's portraying. They're not doing that sincerely, right? I mean, I guess I've heard of the gay representation angle, right, which is fine. But there's no one that's like, oh, we need to give more opportunities for, like, real-life 600-pound actors, like, or... I don't know. How many 600-pound actors... How many 600-pound actors need to die on the way to the set with their congestive heart failure or because they fell out of the crane that lifted them out of their house in order to get them to the set. How how many need to die before we just put Brendan Fraser in a fat suit, for fuck's sake, you sickos? They're doing a piece on it on one of the CBA shows, and uh, it came. there was like a play before the movie, and the actor who was on the stage was also, he got like a fat suit on, and nobody was complaining then. I, I think that, there's no way there's anyone making a sincere case about representation right. in maybe, maybe it's not sincere that hasn't stopped me from seeing it literally <laughs> dozens of times every time that i've seen any coverage of this movie the whale right uh, but perhaps you're right perhaps it's not sincere I, I i don't bring it up because of that as silly as i think the representation stuff is uh, specifically here especially uh, when we're talking about actors you're playing a crackhead you, you yourself are not a crack i mean come on like don't be ridiculous right. with it's, these it's all grown-ups uh, putting on makeup and playing right. pretend we can calm down right. about representation stuff, I think. Unless, uh, as I've suggested, I think in the past, ultimately we're heading to a place where because we are constantly filmed and surveilled and the stars of our own movies, as uh, certain friends of the show might suggest we ought to, as we ought to behave as the stars of our own movies, uh, perhaps we're headed to a place where acting is not acceptable unless you are uh, portraying yourself. That we, we, not only in America do we all get our own 15 minutes of fame, as Warhol famously said, but in fact we all get our own fucking biopic, and it just right. runs 24-7 constantly. <laughs> Anyway, I don't bring it up because of that. I bring it up because of uh, a couple of lines from this review. It's a, a largely negative take on the movie, I think it's fair to say. And I'm just going to read a quote here. I will, I will dot, dot, dot the big middle chunk of it. It says, The script, adapted by Samuel D. Hunter from his own stage play, positions Charlie as a kind of Christ figure, though it isn't clear who or what 
he is meant to be saving with his intentional self-sacrifice. Dot, dot, dot. The whale has a similar fascination with a spectatorship as a form of masochism. To watch Charlie suffer is to suffer along with him, but it is also, in a formulation less flattering to the viewer, a way of allowing him to do the suffering on our behalf, maybe even for our entertainment. Now, I don't know if the author of this piece recognizes that at the end of this paragraph— they are describing explicitly, perhaps, the way that Americans might view a Christ figure in the way that she denies that the character is a Christ figure right. <laughs> at the start of the paragraph. I don't know that, that she realizes what she's done here, but it's really obvious to me, which is that she's leveling a criticism at the work and then forgetting that it is a work that is meant to be consumed by an audience yes. and that somehow the way that the audience reacts to the work is telling about the work itself almost more than uh, like potentially more than the literal piece of art in front of you right that right. that that the feelings that it causes in the audience matters in terms of what the art is trying to say it's not simply a, a list of words on a page and you have to take every single one of those words literally and then you can you have to be critical of those words as they are literally represented up there on the screen and it makes me a little bit crazy because so much uh, criticism, whether it's movies, music, culture, whatever, they fail to connect their own observations of the work with the possibility that the artist is saying something about the thing that the critic has identified. So the critic identifies something in the work and then says, oh, I'm just the fucking smart guy. Right. <laughs> I, you see that? I see that thing. It's yeah. not possible that the, that the filmmaker or the artist put that thing there for me to see and then right. and then it's about how I react to it. No, I'm just the smartest fucking guy in the room and Darren Aronofsky and the guy who wrote this play isn't smart enough to know the thing that he's done, to know the thing that they put in this movie for me to react to. It is up to me, the critic, to do the actual art here. And that's what drives me nuts about this sort of criticism is that it's the critic who thinks that they're the fucking artist, but that's not your right. job. As the critic. So I haven't seen too many of these angles taken by reviewers. I assume you have. Like this is a recurring issue that you found with uh, – Have you ever read anything written about anything that uh, uh, Trey Parker has written? Because everything that Trey Parker writes is immediately turned aside as uh, a total piece of shit. And he's just – he is exemplifying the thing that like to me he is very clearly satirizing, right? right. Anytime you read any, any criticism of satire in the modern context, you will get exactly this, right? right? And to be fair, I have not seen The Whale, so I don't right. know. But what yeah. I know for sure is that her criticism of it is completely invalid because of the things that she says in her review of the movie. Right. And and I, I, I will see this in due time probably – Whenever it comes out, but I, I will, I, I do imagine that actually no, th this is the reviewer because I think I've read another review since you shared the article. They praised the acting, but not the movie. Was was this that person? They kind of had a weird. That's happened a lot with baby. this movie. There's a great yeah. deal of. Obviously, I really am impressed with what Brendan Fraser has done in this movie in terms of his performance as an actor. But the movie surrounding him is extremely problematic. That is that has been the tenor of a lot of the reviews of this movie. I, 
I'm I'm concerned that that's basically people like we like the actor, but we, the movie was shit. And, and for the way for them to right, express Frazier that is that in way. in particular has a very sympathetic story, right? right? People right. like so, like him because he was right. apparently he's got some Me Too story about being fondled by some dirtbag uh, Hollywood producer type, and That's that was right, part yeah. of the reason why he disappeared from the spotlight apparently. And so this is sort of a comeback. And so yeah, there's that aspect of it. But apparently right. he's chosen not, uh, an imperfect uh, vehicle here. As a prof- as a professional critic, you should not let that bleed into your uh, review, right? To like. I'm just concerned that this movie is going to be like, oh my god, this movie doesn't work, or it's like too, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling about this movie, but it'll be interesting to see if uh, if any of her and say she, I take it right, if her yeah. criticism is valid. It's just weird because she's done the work of identifying something that is perhaps very interesting about what Aronofsky or the the writer is trying to say about christianity in america right she's like it's a it's an interesting observation the whale has a similar fascination with spectatorship as a form of masochism to watch charlie suffer is to suffer along with him but it is also in a formulation less flattering to the viewer a way of allowing him to do the suffering on our behalf maybe even for our entertainment that is an interesting observation about this piece of art but what she's done is she's extracted that she she said that this is a, a sin committed by Aronofsky right. rather than by the audience or or rather than as a commentary of the the culture that within the context that that Aronofsky is making the movie right yeah. it's almost as though she doesn't believe that this other person is capable of speaking about the culture writ large uh, because of who they are, but she is as a as a as a impartial observed uh, third person removed from the situation is actually able to fully grok everything in that way. Right. Yeah. Instead, everything has to be an unintentional reveal of the of the dirty heart of the person doing the speaking of the person. And that goes back to like the unintentional racism argument, right? That anytime somebody has a slip and says something slightly un PC, it's not just a slip; it actually right. reveals their true heart. That right. somehow like- uh, some idiot says something drunk on Instagram. It's not just something stupid that they said drunk on Instagram. Instead, it reveals their true nature in some way right people uh do cling to that like i mean isn't that that expression you know drunk words sober thoughts like there's always like these different variations of the same thought where like if something does slip by you in a sober setting like the mask has come off like all the other stuff you're saying that's not how it works at all right it's like somebody could just been having a bad day and just like like i've i've said things drunk that i like that's I don't know right. where that came from. Yeah, that, There's yeah. no truth to that at right. all. At all, I don't yeah. Know what, so. Who I thought I was playing in a movie at that yeah. moment, but that's, that wasn't me. Right. It's similar to the way that people strip context and intent out of everything in modern life in order to sort of nail you on the specific thing that you said. And that yeah. some and, and then they use that to get you in trouble. It's like, sorry, but like this is a movie. Context and intent are the whole ball of fucking wax. Right. You cannot just take a purely literal view of the images flashing before your eyes in front of the screen and call that and, and, and then say that's all the movie is trying to say. Movies generally are trying to say more than the very literal thing that they're saying. It's very annoying. We're going to talk about movies now? We watched so yes. many movies. Uh, real quick on our bogus future. This is a absolutely a fast-forward episode of the Cast Iron. We're not even 90 minutes into the recording here, and we're already <laughs> into our to bed. bogus future. 
this is not a huge deal. Um, and in the context of possible breakthroughs in technology, allowing us to have clean, renewable energy uh, moving forward, doesn't matter at all. But uh, tonight I saw a quick headline about HBO's Westworld and another show called The Nevers, which is apparently a thing that Joss Whedon produced in Never 2021 that I had not heard of. Both have been pulled from HBO Max, likely headed to what's called a fast network somewhere. Do you know what fast stands for, Abe? It stands for something? Free ad-supported television. It's free ad-supported Good. television, oh. as Lori says. I learned says. that from Andrew. So like uh, um, like Pluto or whatever? One right, of like Pluto TV or like you go on your Roku and it's got like 47 free channels to watch and it's 90% commercials and they sneak some movie in there every once in a while. So apparently if you want to watch Westworld, which premiered on HBO not that long ago, five, right. six years ago, something like that, and premiered Solid to like season. Yeah. great fanfare. It was the at the time it was the most watched first season of a show that HBO had ever put out. It did yeah. better than Game of Thrones first season did. It did better than Sopranos first season did. Better even than Arliss. I mean, if you're if you're doing better than Arliss, you're doing something right. By the way, that that's the the I know this is not the point of this bogus future segment, but Westworld. I remember it because the first season was great and. The showrunners and the creators and the writers, they got upset because a forum on Reddit sussed out how the season went. And they got so upset that they came up with a very convoluted second season to the point where... Like, the fir- sacrif- which, by the way, the first season was plenty convoluted. Yeah. Right? It was, but at least if you like look back at it, you're like, okay, I can kind of see how the pieces fit. Like, There's some logic to it, despite it's like, what the hell's going on? But the second season... Right. That's the thing s- about... Oh, wait a the, the thing about satisfying puzzle boxes is that yeah. they have solutions that right. logically cohere with yes. the clues that were left exactly. uh, ahead of the way. Way, right? right. The reason the puzzle box opens in a satisfying manner is because all of the pieces actually fit and it's not some bullshit magic that happens. Like the director or the writer doesn't come around and just go, oh, he sprinkles his magic fucking plot dust over it. It's like, oh, well, everything right. works. Like, no, what we like <laughs> is that some that a group of people on Reddit in the same way that a group of people in a writer's room could come together and figure out how this all fucking works and what the little hints along the way that were dropped. They should be fucking pleased with the fact that some fanatic people on the internet figured out what their game was right, it's fine right. and, and also they themselves must be a reddit forum person because no other person would give a shit like relative to the overall audience that's watching this who cares what some nerds online right. you, you go to even a, a relatively popular show like the white lotus has a, a reddit the that's white lotus has some insane internet stuff happening sure but like <laughs> something like 10 million people watch the white lotus and the yeah. the subreddit for it has got like twenty thousand subscribers oh, yeah. and we're not talking this is such a vanishingly small percentage of a vanishingly small percentage of americans writ large that it shouldn't fucking matter at all if some idiot guesses uh what the plan is for the season it's fine right it's yeah, but yeah. Anyways, a fall from grace from like a show that could have been like. Right, right. And I actually thought season two was fine, but also I had almost no interest in like. And it's evident by the fact that I didn't watch it. No interest in coming back for seasons three and four. Yeah. Which uh, like I always thought because we subscribed to HBO, like oh, I'll just catch up with it eventually. I don't have to worry about it, and I will want to because of the amount of respect and enjoyment that I had and got out of 
season one of Westworld, which, for my money, was as good a single season yeah, of television as— Daniel O'Brien said it's good again. As I can think of. Like, yeah. it was just a spec- as good as uh, the first season of True Detective, as good as the best seasons of Breaking Bad that was that first season of Westworld. But no, some Reddit person figured it out. we got to ruin the whole franchise. Right. Anyway, Stupid. the point is, is that it's now being pulled from HBO's HBO Max thing ahead of this merger with the other Warner Brothers Discovery, Discovery properties. yeah. And will now go to some bullshit commercial-supported television network. And it's just one more reason why uh, this Christmas, if you care about the the shows that you watch and the and the loved ones that you watch them with, buy them physical media of their favorite shows because subscriptions are fucking bullshit. And you think that you think that you have constant access to Game of Thrones in perpetuity forever, and then all of a sudden HBO is like, "Nah, we're gonna stick it on commercial television, and you'll have to watch it with bars over the floppy wieners, and you won't be able to hear the curse words." <laughs> is is this a sign of things to come? Are they gonna at some point move The Sopranos and Six Feet Under and other HBO titles? I don't know. I'm relieved that I have The Sopranos on on Blu-ray sitting upstairs on my shelf in the event that they decide to do that. It's not okay. Wow. Uh, Physical media. Get it for your loved ones. Uh, You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com for the show note. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Tetramer music.com fun note about mark is he was the first person that i i pulled the the link for this fusion news that we got this week and i texted it to him and his text back was immediate and he said ha i was about to send you that exact link look at that so we were on the same page there before we get into uh, what movies you watched i want to quickly point people to a youtube podcast that i watched uh uh, Lawrence Krauss is a, a famous scientist and science popularizer in the same vein as like a Richard Dawkins type, although less immediately off-putting in the way that Dawkins can be off-putting for some people, I it's think. It's just his accent. It sounds like he's doing a thing. But Lawrence Krauss is, is one of the good ones, and he has a podcast. I think it's called The Origins Podcast. Uh, he posts the videos on YouTube, and he had a lengthy hour-long interview with Cormac McCarthy uh, that he posted earlier this week that I found almost shockingly moving and affecting, like personally, emotionally affecting of me as I watched it. And it turned out to be a, a totally fine conversation between two guys who are apparently friends. McCarthy, of course, is the the Pulitzer Prize-winning American great author of uh, The Road and No Country for Old Men and All the Pretty Horses and Blood Meridian, among plenty of others. I've only read three or four of his books. I think I might have just named them all that I've read. So I have some more work to do on the Cormac McCarthy front. He has two books out this year, what will likely be his final works, They are related novels that they decided to break up and release as two pieces. The Passenger is the first one, came out a couple months ago, and Stella Maris is coming out this month, which look interesting and apparently focus a great deal on conversations around uh, quantum physics and other scientific inquiries, which is why he was willing to sit down and have a lengthy talk with Lawrence Krauss. Uh, This is a guy who... 
is as I don't want to use the word virile, but I'm gonna, I'm going no. to. He is as forceful and virile on the page as any writer that I can think of, and that's not to say that he's like. I mean, it is sort of heavy, but he also has a light touch. He can have a light touch with language and with sentence construction. That's really quite wonderful. The point being that he's somebody who on the page exudes mastery of the language and of the words and just has is someone who is in absolute complete control. You don't you don't need me to sing the praises of Cormac McCarthy if you've read any Cormac McCarthy. My compliments to his writing is, is ridiculous. Like he's a, a fantastic American writer of words. And that standing in contrast with the fact that he's 90 years old and just he's every bit his 90 years old. This is a man who's, I don't know, he might live another five years, he might live another 10 years, but he is very much diminished by the fact of his age compared to what it's like to read him and compared to what I imagine it was like to interact with him on a day-to-day basis even 10 or 20 years ago. Well, that's how age works. Right, and he doesn't give very many interviews. This is a very rare thing, so it's a treat just for that, but it was... Just in the first, just in the opening moments of it, the contrast of hearing McCarthy's voice in my head as I have for years when reading him on the page with the actual physical voice of this diminished 90 year old man. Like it's, it's, it was like legitimately heartbreaking in a way that I was shocked by. Like it was the least, it was the last feeling I was expecting to have when I pushed play on the YouTube video, but it like, it overwhelmed me in a way. Oh, wow. uh, look at that. And not in a bad way. It was just, and no, no one else is going to have that reaction. Probably that might be a fairly unique reaction to it. And so I'll, I'll point you to it just because it is an enjoyable conversation between two friends uh that that goes on for an hour in a way that's not they're not mad at each other they're just having a fun conversation about their approach to learning about science and to sum up holy shit cormac mccarthy is so old is what you're saying yes i think that is what i'm saying also i'll include a link in the show notes to a piece about uh, a conspiracy uh, by rob manfred and major league baseball to uh to fuck with baseballs like the actual physical makeup of of baseballs and that, that'll be in the show notes too anyway Abe, oh. did you make it to the movies this week i did i actually uh went to the theaters twice and i watched a third movie at home uh, just real quick uh, i went to go see violent night which is like this santa claus like first before you tell us what you thought i want to give uh uh, Chris Howard's Never full give his, his full review of Violent Night as texted to me and my brother Andrew. He simply said uh, out of the blue, Violent Night equals great night exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> it was it, it was a, a lot of fun. Um what's weird about the movie is that on one hand basically they're playing up the 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 guy is actually Santa Claus, right? Like, so it's like this, like right. this whimsical, like kid kind of like David oh. Harbor, the, the the chief of police from Stranger Things, is yeah, the from actor, Stranger yeah. Things, right? So they're playing up the fact that this is not—he's not playing Santa, like he's actually Santa Claus. He's got the stupid list of the naughty and the nice, and then that's As in, that that sort of like meta thing where it's like this is actual Santa Claus, not. Yeah, the actor David Harbor, right, 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 and they're kind of like playing it up because like the bad guys in the movie 
they slowly start to believe things and he brings up something from when they were young. Like it's, right. they kind of play with that. So overall fun movie, people get killed. Everything's great. You know, Santa Claus wins at the end. What I'm starting <laughs> to realize, maybe, maybe I'm getting older or the, 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 the kill scenes are becoming more real, but I've been thrown off by the violence in yeah. the last few years, and it started with the, the Keanu Reeves movies. Like the first one, the John second Wick? one was fine. What's that? John Wick? Yeah, the John Wick. Yeah, I think it, by the second or third one that I watched, I'm like, man, they are way too, like, it just looks too real. Like, I don't know, it's kind of like uh, the TV technology. Like, some of the newer TVs are like too real. Like, it doesn't yeah. look like a movie, it just looks like. High definition, like oh, look at Tom Cruise's pimple from this nineteen ninety whatever movie. Like you can see everything, and it just kind of takes a while to get used to. Like the new age violence, it's not like the cartoonish back in the day Rambo, just shoot them up and people just flail their arms right. and they fall down. Maybe I'm just expecting that instead of like that guy looked like he's actually yeah. dead. Like they'll just shoot him point point blank and right. break arms. We're uncomfortably close to snuff films here, you guys. Let's uh, <laughs> let's dial back the realism a little bit. Yeah, that like was a, some people's right complaints. Balance. Some people's complaints about Fight Club, actually, and that this is a movie all the way back in 1999. But that it was just it wasn't that it was there weren't more deaths. There was it was just that it was too real. That the the it was the punching the way that the punching just turned those faces into fucking chewed up hamburger meat, and the the sound design was too good, and the the makeup was too good, and it was just too real. Right. I yeah. Sometimes that happens. I think the, another example. I watched uh, American Psycho recently, and like nice. the, the kicking the dog to death thing. Just like was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like this guy just. Aww, that's just that's like, sensitive. That's just you getting old. You don't like, even see that happen. I think it's just ten you years ago. You don't see it. It's the idea of it. You just need a dog. No. <laughs> the John Wick <laughs> movies are what triggered oh, him. There are, <laughs> there there are some fucking dogs. There are some violent movies that, yeah, I, I have no interest in watching. It's like when they show a replay of a football player's knee going wrong yeah. or yeah. an ankle. Like, no, I'm just going to – I will avert my eyes <laughs> been better about from that. the screen rather than watch that four times in a row. Like, right. It's like when the guy gets curb stomped in American History X. Nope. Like I'm, I'm yes. just going to avert Even my eyes for that yeah. moment. Yeah, they don't show that. But uh, I, I – you're not squeamish. It's a fun movie. You should go watch it. The other movie I want to go see is The Fablemans, which uh, Steven Spielberg, whatever. Yeah, he's, I'm excited to find out what you thought. He's he's great. Movie was was solid. The story though was weird because like it's he's kind of is basing it somewhat off of his upbringing, and the story features like his mother cheating on his father in front of all of the kids, and I was like, right. why would this be a the thing you mentioned about your upbringing like it was a weird choice it's like this is it like the your mom was cheating on your dad i like that he waited until he is as old as he is now i his dad i think has been dead for a long time i don't know about his mother's status i think his mother's also dead but i could be wrong about that i have a this is not a unique thought to me but there's a there's a real thing with some people where you don't want to tell that there are certain truths that you can't tell until your parents are fucking yeah. dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> like there are there are certain things that you want to maybe say or write about that you are not interested in actually fully pursuing until the people uh, who are most potentially 
in danger of being emotionally harmed by those things have have turned from this mortal coil uh so to speak that that there are there are certain avenues you don't necessarily want to explore as an artist about your own personal history uh, right. that are that are too true for the people in your lives and i wonder if if that's why he waited as long as he did to that, make this that particular would, movie that would that would that would make sense uh but i mean overall like i said it's a very like well-made movie like because you know that he would show a young steven spielberg making movies like the amateur stuff and like he would kind of reenact it and he would do such a good job and i wonder if they actually showed the originals if it actually looked that professional because it would not surprise me at all to find out that he was a fucking savant at the age of eight with a (laughs) with a 16 millimeter camera right like that that wouldn't be surprising right all right what was the third one the third movie was uh, uh, on Apple TV, your boy Will Smith, uh, Emancipation. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. By the way, I think you have somewhat ruined Will Smith because every time like he does something, <laughs> I don't know why you're stupid fucking – and it's not, again, a prompt for you to say anything. Just shut up about <laughs> Will Smith's past quotes. But uh, I don't need to say it, Abe. It's already playing in your head. I have no no reason whatsoever to say it. But even with that – prejudice going into the movie it just seemed like a paint by numbers kind of like oh some the, remember the famous picture of the the the, the slave guy abe, the former abe, slave abe all i ask all i ask is that you uh that you refrain from telling any lies about <laughs> will smith and this and this movie that's all i ask it's, it's there's that famous picture where this guy uh the yeah. former slave who got like whipped so much that he got all of this damage on his back and it was a very popular picture if you google it uh don't but you know it's the very famous picture so the story is based on that guy how right. he went from slavery to freedom and blah 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 but the movie wasn't I like- haven't read much about I haven't read much about this movie except that like uh I think I saw something like uh do we really need this like yeah is this was this strictly necessary if you watch it you're like we didn't need like it wasn't really very good, and I don't think it actually did that well with the uh, reviews. But yeah, those were right. Like, my right. understanding is that this will not be the movie that brings Will Smith back into the good graces of the popular culture writ large. No, in no. all likelihood, no. no. And also, yeah, so it's at forty six percent on Rotten Tomato. The audience seems to like it, but it's not that it's not that good of a movie. What audience? Who the fuck has Apple TV? What are we talking about? So here? many people no, have Apple TV. Nobody watched that fucking movie. I think I have it through like a like if you have like T-Mobile or something, they'll throw it. Like I think a lot of people yeah. have these Lots weird subscriptions that way. No one actually gets Apple TV. They just give it yeah. to you. All right. Well, we watched uh, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Lori had have never seen, seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I I've, I've seen bits and pieces. I don't think I've seen from beginning to end. Everyone has seen I hadn't countless seen it. bits and pieces of right. this movie on cable through the I years. I hadn't seen even bits and pieces, really. You know why? Because there's no nudity in this one, so they can just put it on. Oh, they don't have to yeah. worry about it very much. They just just put it's it on. It's a very strange movie. It's a very weird movie. They don't make them like that anymore. Is no, a, they don't need to. And I, I, I <laughs> the, usually the corollary to they don't make them like that anymore is like a nostalgic. Why don't they make them that great anymore? Right. Sort of thing. But not that. They don't make them no. like that anymore. It was weird. In terms of like sort of mediocre, uh, purely one single personality driven comedies. Like there was a and – and in fact, because right. it comes out in 1989 and it's sort of at the tail end of an era of this very specific type of movie, which is like a not 
it's almost like they, we didn't put a ton of effort into this. And of course, the guy uh, is John Hughes. John Hughes notoriously just would dash off scripts for movies in like 36 hours. Like he he wrote he sat down and wrote Home Alone in like fucking three and a half hours or something. Right? Oh, wow. This asshole could write a script in his fucking sleep. And uh, apparently didn't do a lot of rewrites because this is uh, <laughs> Christmas Vacation as sort of like so weird. It relies on its own stupidity to be part of the charm of the entire experience, right? Like it it's not that it's a great movie, but it is a beloved movie in a very particular fashion for a very particular crowd because it didn't it's not trying very hard. In the and Chevy Chase has that sort of energy of being someone who's not necessarily trying very hard. So it's just inoffensive. Also, just that that's what it's got going for. It's an inoffensive like Right, movie. it's it's somewhat offensive, okay. but maybe it wasn't. Yeah, it's very also it hates yuppies, weird. which is a defensible position. If you hate <laughs> yeah, yuppies, that's a that's just, a good position to be in. I mean, talk about did we need this movie? Like, d- no, no. But it's still making the rounds. What twenty three years sure. later? It's because it has a couple of good bits, but like it does what it does not have is like twenty great bits. Yeah. The way that some of the way that some like, of these movies alone. work, like we, Caddyshack. Caddyshack is just an endless series of really great bits tied together by the dumbest possible story. Right? right. It's like the rich guys trying to buy up the golf course or something. Right? Like who the yeah, fuck there knows? There are a lot of very flimsy. Yes, I mean playing planes trains and automobile like uh, that yeah that had like a good like every like 20 minutes it's like a big scene that you remember right down the road it was it's just weird and like now i know how i've lived my life for so long not having seen it like yeah i didn't hate it but like why i was reading this movie yeah i was reading something that quentin tarantino had to say about chevy chase movies as opposed to bill murray movies largely uh related to their 80s output and while I sort of disagree with his fundamental conclusion, which is that he doesn't like Bill Murray movies uh, from this period because they're all about schlubs who are assholes who are then redeemed at the end. And, and like, it happens over and over again in, and in Bill like Murray movies. And he doesn't like that part, the redemption part where, like— Right. Specifically, especially the redemption of— the oafish asshole uh, self-involved jerk that right. Bill Murray is able to play in a charming sort of way, but also they give him the redemption arc at the end. He charms Andy McDowell by the end of Groundhog's Day and they, they live happily ever after. That sort of right. version of the Bill Murray sort of scamp or scoundrel character who gets redeemed in the audience's eyes and in the eyes of the other people in the movie in the end. Chevy Chase never did that. All of Chevy Chase's characters are sort of bumbling, self-involved assholes who never learn a goddamn thing. And like that, in terms of a more realistic portrayal of the American man and of the culture at large, it's much more authentic. Right. And that's why Quentin prefers it. Uh, I, mean, I think he they gets both, his I, bonus at the end of the movie. Sure, but he's not redeemed as a character. He just gets, in a way, it, it is his bad behavior is rewarded, but he doesn't fucking learn anything. Bill Murray is constantly learning things at the end of bill murray movies chevy chase never fucking learns anything right he might be rewarded for it but he never yeah. fucking learns anything anyway uh we also watched uh don't worry darling which is a movie that you saw a while saw back that. oh that's right yeah with uh harry styles right yep. yes harry styles uh olivia wilde and uh blonde what's her name blonde uh, florence Pugh. florence Pugh. that's yep. the name 
and She's got James. a weird face. She has a very malleable face where she can look uh, extremely different from one moment of the film to the next. And also, when I Google her and I look at pictures of her, and I do not believe that that is the same person who was in the film that I just watched. And, and that other guy, Chris Pine. Chris, oh, Pine. Chris Pine. He yeah. was in it. Chris Pine plays maybe the only semi-interesting character in this good. entire dog shit piece of garbage movie that we watched <laughs> it for two was hours. Fine. It was a fine movie. It held my attention the whole time. It held my attention too because it's a fucking terrible movie that was uh, <laughs> largely correctly identified as a terrible movie by critics. And I think when you talked about this movie, I had some. I was holding back a little bit. I had some vague apologetics for this movie because people were so roundly dismissing it as yeah. a piece of shit. And it was, and I was like, well, this seems like an interesting movie about an interesting potential idea, at least. And I, I was disappointed that the way that it was treated uh, in the in the reviews, I was wrong. Oh, uh, this you, is a you, bad you, movie. You're you know, with the critics. Can I? I think I'm I, now with the critics. It, uh, it wasn't noteworthy bad. Like it was just like another, you no, know, like it was fine. Yeah. When you make a movie. That's purely about ideas, that, that is uh, purely ideological, that doesn't have any actual characters in it, it's not going to be any good. And, and like the characters in this movie are not actually characters. They are representations of other characters' ideas of themselves, and we don't find out about that. Until the end of the movie. Until the very right? just You should warn people that there are spoilers. Sorry, uh, spoilers, right? So, that, but everybody knows the conceit of the movie is that these people are plugged into an experience no, everybody machine. Everybody doesn't know that until okay. after they see the movie. Fine, sorry. I didn't know that. Did you know that going into All right. it? If you've made it this far into our podcast and not you yet figured out, you should put an edit in there that what we do at the end of the show every fucking week is ruin movies for you that you <laughs> haven't seen or talk about television that just happened that you might that, and we're not going to do it in a spoiler-free sort of way. That's on you. Sorry. Sure. I. 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 Mm. As Abe said earlier, uh, Santa Claus wins in the Violent Night <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, but like... <laughs> spoiler warning. We've revealed the major twist of a movie that was released within six sure. months and I will, now. Sure, and I will drop to, to satisfying okay, Lori, I'll drop a spoiler warning yeah, before Christmas. our introduction. Uh, also, you don't have to watch this movie because this exact movie has been made literally dozens of times way better in the past. Like every version of this movie that this movie is talking about was better the last time that they made it. But crucially, we don't even actually ever meet the characters that the stand-ins for the characters are uh, who are on the screen. We don't spend any fucking time with them. So the whole time I'm watching this movie, it's like... There's nothing here. None right. of these characters, like, I'm not getting anything that matters. Like, it wants me to care about someone who I've never met because right. of some idea that this movie has uh, that, that's fundamentally political, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a purely ideological, and if all you're doing is making a movie about an idea without any characters, then you have not done anything interesting. You've just written a fucking five-paragraph essay for your seventh-grade teacher. Right? I mean, and that's Stepford all this movie wives. is. It's just Stepford and also, they, they, you could just watch Stepford Wives instead. Yeah, they they very briefly gave the backstory, right? It was kind of like in passing. But yeah. it, I, I wonder if the, the decision was, we want this to be an experience. Like you're experiencing this as the main character who's slowly coming to realize, oh, I'm in this thing. My big concern is like, so congratulations, you're in the real world now strapped to a bed next yeah. to your dead husband like what 
Also, yeah. none of the lore works. Not, like the moment you start thinking about the, re- the, the real world version of this, none of it fucking works. So what you're telling me is that these dudes have to leave the virtual world for eight to ten hours a day in order to earn money to keep themselves plugged into the virtual world with their wives. And that's the that's why there's this conceit of the men going off to work. Right. Well, and that and there were, there were those communities in the 50s. They're not hooked up to any uh, life support machines. So what, what the fuck is even keeping them alive? He just sponges some water onto her <laughs> lips and puts eyedroppers in her eyes, and that's People, supposed to keep her alive for the next 18 why, hours? Why not? I mean, those comatose people are still alive. Very stupid. Well, we watched it. We watched it. I don't <laughs> recommend it. All right. The White Lotus. Abe, hey, how do you feel the, the season wrapped up? Spoilers, so, by the way. We're going to talk oh, yeah. about the end of the fucking movie. We're going to talk about who died. So go away if you don't want to hear us talk about who died. So the uh, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, when the deaths happened, I... Uh, it just made sense, you know the 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 whole lead up, all the episodes. I think there's seven episodes overall, and it was like, how do you get to that big of a number? Because it was like three bodies, yeah. four bodies, or whatever. So I was like, they said a few. Yeah, so I was like, so are multiple people from different like worlds are gonna die? Like you know the the sex workers, maybe one of them, the piano guy, maybe you know like right. I was trying to do the math, and then what ended up being just in that one cluster. And I was like, oh, of course. How come that wasn't like, why didn't that open with that? Like, it just seemed like such an obvious, like, if it's going to be a cluster of people, it's going to be yeah. the the group of random guys who are who befriended uh, Tanya, or what, what is her name? Tanya or Portia? Yeah, Tanya. I can't get their names right. But um, that made sense. What did make sense, but I, I, I overlooked, is the, I'm going to blindly shoot out and every bullet is going to find a target. Like, <laughs> that was just... I know it's supposed to be like a more like tense scene because like she's aware of the danger she's in in the minutes leading up to it, uh, but I just right. and I just got a big laugh out of me when That's she a very, just. It's a very confined. It's a very confined space. <laughs> I think it's fairly believable pretty. that she could at least she could at least kill a couple of them as they're trying to charge in through the door or what have you. None of them hit like n- nothing up or whatever. Also, um, maybe I I was too busy laughing uh, and I didn't pay attention. Was that the idea, literally, just to kill her, like the, the, so that it, the, 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 the divorce, like. the divorce stuff? There wasn't anything like that. Basically, we didn't need her dad, and we need to right. have a plausible backstory that she was out on a date with this mafioso yeah. guy. Like, that's pretty like cabal. Like, just we're gonna kill her, and oh, she's got an assistant. Let's get this other sex worker to just kidnap her without her right. knowing. Which, by the way, if you if you show up, because the plan was to. Tie her up with zip ties and and duct tape and rope, and then dump her in the water. Presumably, also shot or at least drowned. That's going to raise some suspicions. Yeah. Right? It's Italy. Like I suspect, the gun was to be used as a threat and not actually used. I don't know. Like it, it seemed like overkill that you would need to have all those items. I guess. Also, if you're a fucking professional Italian mafioso hitman. You do not leave your bag of goodies in clear view of your victim and also your gun inside it. You have a fucking holster where right. your gun goes or you stick it in your back pocket or something. What are you doing? Maybe he sized her up the day before. It's like, oh, this person's way out there. Yeah, this is not a threatening person. I- yeah, it was, a, it was a satisfying end uh, as far as I was concerned. I was hoping as we watched Tanya dispatch with her would-be assassins that she was going to survive not because 
I wanted her because I love her and want to see her again, but because I wanted Mike White to have decided to sort of uh, turn the tables on this idea that uh, the entire audience would have had going in, which is that one of the leads, one of the most important people needs to die. And instead, uh, when we talk about the dead guests, we're talking about these uh, these flaky English Italian weirdos who come and go on their boat. Right. And we weren't actually talking about any of the dead guests that we uh, had come to know and love over the course of a week. Uh, but instead, he wanted Tanya to go tumbling off the boat and bang her head on the way down and then what a uh, fitting drown, end. presumably. She survived. Yeah. She basically rambled her way yeah. out and uh, <laughs> she cannot. It was it was good. <laughs> She's a real dummy. Uh, I enjoyed the way that everything wrapped up. I thought it was a satisfying season of television. I will say I'm slightly surprised at the relative place of prominence that this show is captured in the zeitgeist. It's annoying. Given how deeply cynical it is about the subjects that it's that it's probing. It no, is, people don't fucking get it, but like whatever. I guess. This is a this is a deeply cynical and and almost misanthropic view of humanity not just rich people but just humans as misanthropic as i can remember seeing on television in an unflinching sort of way even hbo great show uh, true detective blinks in the last episode right and gives us a sort of hopeful vision of the future or a potential hopeful vision of the future at the end of true detective season one it's not just pure bleak cynicism this this is like it's as as fundamentally cynical as anything I can remember coming across just in terms of the way that it the way that it treats the way these characters deal with their sexuality yeah. and the way that they instrumentalize the desires of other people and the and what that says about the core motivations of the people who are doing that manipulation starting at the top with Tanya because she's the one who ultimately dies Tanya is provided sex by her would-be assassins, as you point out, for no reason, right? So the, the, that, that blinking red light that we saw in episode six, if you were eagle-eyed and caught it, it you thought, oh, she's being recorded doing right. this uh, sex act with someone who is not her husband. That turns out to be a red herring. Right. Uh, that, that, the, the, the entire, in fact, the entire affair with the hot young Italian drug dealer turns out to just be sort of a weird present. Almost yeah, as if uh, sending almost as off. if yeah, Greg like, Greg is like here, I know I'm murdering you and I'm taking your entire inheritance and this giant pile of wealth that was left to you by your mother. But here on the way out have this pleasant sexual experience with this Italian mafioso. Feel as beautiful as you want to feel, right? right. Like it, it's this weird consolation prize for getting murdered that they're getting, doing yeah. to her for no reason. They're just going to dump her in the water dead anyway. The affair has no well, impact whatsoever. The, the, the only uh, explanation would be like, was the idea for the, 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 the group of gay guys to leave, right? And then it would be like a dinner with this guy and then she dies, right? And then this guy, he could just disappear i don't know where he came from but wasn't that the whole thing like there needed to be some sort of plausible like they had like a relationship willing relationship and then an accident happened and she's dead 
Like, was but, but that why? Whole... They could just say that she got drunk and slipped off the yacht as they were as they were pulling into harbor or sometime overnight. Like they stayed out to have one last dinner on the yeah. on the like there's no reason for any of these stupid machinations with know, the Italian mafioso guy. Right. Except that... except as this perverse like that's why I keep coming back to Greg. This is Greg's idea. This is something he's giving her. Is she said something in the first or second episode like her ideal day? I mean, it could have something to do with that. Right. It, he tries to give her the perfect Italian dream that she was going to have, and it, right. he doesn't quite succeed. And so the, the, the this big uh, elaborate plot uh, becomes part of it as well. And she does. She feels beautiful in the way that she wanted to feel beautiful. She gets what she wants, and then she fucking dies. So, you know, so on, on Greg, uh, with uh, Lucia, she basically ran the scam to to the end, right? Like she got the younger of the... Christopher Clan to part with fifty thousand dollars. He didn't even care. Like, oops, I fucked up. Like, he wakes up. He's like, I guess that's how yeah. being rich she is. It's me. like, <laughs> all right, no, no skin off my back. But like the Lucia, she, this is a scam that she's playing. I mean, the the, the show ends with her and um, Mia just like kind of running around, just having a good good old time. That's our hero it, shot. We get a we get a we get a, a legit hero shot right. of the two sex workers who who the two of them. So Lucia scams fifty thousand dollars right. out of that family the dope, just yeah. by just just by pretending to care about Albie for for three or four and, nights. And, right and, and the and the supposed. Uh, uh, pimp or whatever that she was pretending she was having an argument with just worked at another uh, like hotel property. A just like, a, just, a, just a, friend. a friend who she right. convinced to, to pretend to threaten her in order to make the whole story more believable. Right. Yeah. So this whole thing was a scam from the beginning. So that got me thinking, is Greg, was he scamming from the, the get-go? Did he ever have that disease he had? I mean, he. I, I know at the beginning of this season, he's already in this... Uh, no, hotel. he's a he's a he's a abs- Greg is absolutely a fraud from the very get go. From the beginning, think, so he right because like there was that scene where like he was kind of fumbling toward her room like in the first season, and it wasn't clear what was going on, and he would make himself available to her. You want to grab whatever? Like the whole thing came from him, and I no, guess he's his- a, he he turns out he turns out to be a type, which is the guy, the scam artist who goes and preys on the rich widows at these. Right fancy hotels or vacation spots or what have you that's a that's a a cliche of the genre ultimately right but but like lucia and mia explicitly use sex and the and the the specter of of sexual violence from her pimp in order to achieve their material ends and make themselves ultimately more free right like that mia uses her sexual appeal first with the piano player and then with the manager of the hotel in order to secure the job that she wants and to gain liberty in a right. like explicit way. That's the thing that, that we're being told is the thing that they get by instrumentalizing other people's desires is they become more free. And if you're like if you're willing to do that, then you can become more free. That is a profoundly cynical take that is true. <laughs> on the weaponization of other people's desires. And on the relationship front, what was the lesson that uh, Ethan and uh, Parks and Rec girl— you got to fuck your friend's wife. Right. That's like the lesson. What was the lesson? Like, basically, oh, dead bedroom. No, the lesson is and, sometimes and, you got to fuck your friend's yeah, wife. It's very—it's like 
and the whole thing before with we get to them, before kid, we get to them, in in, in episode six, Bert's big heartbreaking speech in in episode six is how he's never going to feel the embrace of a woman ever again. That all he really wants is to be able to come home after a long day at work or whatever, just being a man in the world and feel the embrace of a loving woman, whether it's a mother or a daughter or a wife, right? And it's presented as this heartbreaking romantic thing, and then he gets the embrace of a woman in episode seven, right? <laughs> Mia runs up to him and gives him a hug yeah. and says, yeah. I took your advice. You were right. I love, like, thank you, whatever. And then he sits down and he says, I just popped half a chub when this woman <laughs> gave me a hug, right? That ultimately this is still fundamentally about my fucking boner. Right. And as they're standing there, to, to stay with the Degrassis or Degrassos or whatever they were, as as they're about to board their plane, they're watching this other uh, bunch of people deplane, and this hot young Italian number oh, comes walking right. by. And all three of them, and all three of them, all three of their heads turn at the same time to follow her ass as she walks by, and it proves. It's a very cheap, small moment that proves that Albie is no different than his old man who's no different than his old man, right? And this is – they all treat women the same way. But that is is the tip of the iceberg with Albie who – uh, just a few minutes earlier, is sitting down to breakfast with his father and demanding $50,000 for Lucia as karmic penance for the shitty way that he's treated women in his life. And what does Albie use as a, as a, as a, as a sword over his dad's head? The feelings of his mother. Right. He's going, he, Albie is going to offer to emotionally and psychologically manipulate his own mother talk about a deep deep misogyny and a deep cynicism about this character that i didn't think mike white had in him like i knew that albie was a fool but i did not know that he was also like arguably the worst misogynist of the bunch where he's going to take the legitimate righteous fury that this woman has for his father because of the way that she's been treated and disrespected and completely shit all over it just so that he can get 50 grand wired to the hooker he's been banging this week. right and it's weird how uh easy it came to him that that leveraging his own mom's well-being just so he can pay and then and his then dad did say in it order, earlier and then in order to get his his dad's approval he says i did it anyway yeah. you didn't even need to send the 50 grand right? right so that ultimately the only thing that matters is his father's feelings it has nothing to do with his mother's feelings that is like i cannot you can't overstate how profoundly cynical that is right. about the way that albie sees women in the world and it's weird cuz it's kind of like this weird it's like a mutation of misogyny like the old old man had did it one way it, it fit his time and then his his son did it another way. Now the youngest is like he says all the right words. He pretends to be like this ally or whatever. And it's worse with him because it's insidious. Right. It's under the so surface. So it's like you have to be a little more. I mean, sophisticated is a bit strong, but like you can't do it as they have done it in the past, right? Like it has to be a little more subtle in his way. And it seems like the the theme of it is like like father like son like son. And on the on the other side, like the even though they're not related. Portia receiving the news that, oh, yeah, your boss is dead and they find a bunch of other bodies and she just absorbed that information and just moved on. All right, let's uh, stay in touch. Like basically she's becoming like self 
involved like uh, right. Tanya was. Like it's like yeah, she's becoming she's, her. A, there, she's just a little baby Tanya. Yeah. There's, there is there is, however, an element of the class stuff w- which excuses her, which is like these fucking rich lunatics are going to get me killed if I don't just fuck off. So right. I'm going to just fuck off. Oh, I see. Right? Like so, so, like, and I and I like I think that's probably like she and Jack are the same in that way. The the British douchebag is going to just. Like he will happily just fuck off. He'll ditch the Range Rover somewhere. Right. Maybe maybe he can get it stripped and sold for parts somewhere where he doesn't. It, there's no connection to him. But he he no longer has to fuck around with those people either, and he's probably relieved. On on Jack's part, do you think that there was any discussion about like, oh, you have to kill her, and he didn't because he was like, I don't want to do that. So just fuck off and don't come back to the hotel because you'll get involved. Like, do you think that there was any? I think that in all likelihood, if Tanya had shown any more backbone, then Jack was probably under orders to dispose of her in a more forceful sort of way. But given how easily manipulated uh, she turned out to be, that it, it probably was never actually necessary. Okay. So that actually her poor reaction to imminent right. danger actually saved her, right? Because like any other person would be like, what the fuck are you doing? There are all these opportunities to, to flee. Like, get the fuck out of there. Like, figure it out. You're not like right. in North Korea, you're in Italy. You can run by an, an, another person and just talk to them and just say, hey, let me just get the police involved. All right. Finally, on our on our uh, handsome foursome, on the Ethan and Harper and Daphne and Cameron more cynicism, more more yes. absolute disdain for the human beings involved here, <laughs> uh, exhibited by the writers. I mean, uh, on the surface, Ethan and Harper obviously effectively become the thing that they walked into this week disdaining, right? They they effectively morph into uh, this other couple in terms of the way that they treat each other. I was wildly amused by that scene where Cameron and Daphne, they see them across the restaurant. They've just had a bad day on a vacation that could not possibly be topped in any plausible way. You yeah. cannot imagine a worse day for two couples to have <laughs> on a vacation yeah. down to multiple different accusations of infidelity uh, between and amongst the group and yeah. also including actual physical violence and attempted uh, second degree murder yeah. in, in the water. Ah, come on. Just two friends. And then, and then they just... They just walk over and they're like, man, what a fucking week. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Like, what are you talking about, they, you psychotics? They, they know how to reset. I mean, it is remarkable how quickly they're able to turn the page. Like, all right, what's I think dinner? Daphne was probably the most interesting character uh, of the entire series uh, or of the season. It's weird how quickly uh, she processes inform- information and just with her eyes. Like, the camera is just on her and bad information she's a comes. stage actress. And she's just like, all right. Let's we'll keep it moving. Actress. Right. Yeah. And she learns the same lesson that all of the other shitheads do, which is that if you're willing to instrumentalize and weaponize and commodify your sexuality and use the desires that other people have against them, then you will be more powerful, right? That, that, that is the way to gain power and freedom in this world is to weaponize the desires of others to your own ends in order to escape victimization and to claim that level of autonomy. That's what she does over and over again. You can watch. She's a terrific face actor. You watch, the, Her best scene of the entire season happens in this episode where she and Ethan are sitting on, that, on those beach loungers yeah. having this conversation and you watch it all happen on her face and she's just fucking special spectacular with it and you can tell they went easy on the makeup there uh for a reason 
you can see all of her freckles. It's not often in this in this week that you get to see her entire face. Often she's got uh, plenty of foundation on that covers up her freckles. This time her face was in, almost entirely clean, and she was able to do all the face acting that she wanted, and it was wonderful. Yeah. But also is fucking terrifying, right? right? Because she's she's doing this thing where she's she's deciding in that moment, in all likelihood, to either. And who knows what I'm they gonna did? I'm going to have to have sex with this guy now. Right, <laughs> right. or maybe maybe they didn't. Maybe or, they yeah, just yeah. had an intimate moment over yeah. there. Who knows what what happened? We're not meant to know. I don't give think the impression anymore. Yeah, and then use right. that as any leverage. more than we're meant. Yeah. Any more than we're meant to know whether or not uh, the Aubrey Plaza character and and Cameron actually uh, did the deed or not, or did more than she admitted to. Any more than we're meant to know whether or not she actually does think that she's had uh, children by other people, which I, right. I don't think that she has. I think that in a way she is the most she is the most profoundly cynical and broken person, but who also knows how to weaponize the jealousies and desires and fears of other people to her own ends. She had a very weird relationship with victimhood, like just like pretending something doesn't happen or like you can offset it. Like if somebody robbed me, like I'm a victim of a robbery, right? I can't like offset that by robbing somebody. Like it's a weird like match that she's doing in her head. Like well, right. what I liked about that dinner though, what I liked about the dinner is that she is now, she now knows how to react to the Aubrey Plaza character because the Aubrey Plaza character has gone from being a potential friend to just being another fucking slut that her husband is trying to bag. Right. She now knows how to deal with this person and she's far more comfortable dealing with her on that level than she has been all week when she's actually like trying to be girlfriends with her right. or what have you. And do you, you suspect that that's why she didn't have that many girlfriends because her husband constantly tries some sort of scam? Right. Whether he ends up sleeping with them or not, she, he can't see other attractive women as anything other than potential sexual conquests. So she has no choice but to treat them in the same way. Right. On, on, on Cam, Cameron, whatever his name is, uh, that moment before when uh, the wife is on the FaceTime with the kids and she's like, hey, come talk to the kids or whatever. And they, he's in the bathroom and he's like kind of gathering himself. Like, do you make anything of that? Do you, you know, Online, people I saw saying, somebody. I saw online. People were insisting that the reason that he doesn't respond to "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy" is because he knows that that's not actually his right. kid, or suspects that that's not actually his kid. No, I I do not think that. I think those are his kids, and I think and I I think that because that is the more cynical view of human nature, which is that this is a guy love his kids though he might most of the time or at least some of the time when he's sitting there staring at himself in the mirror trying to brush his teeth or floss or whatever yeah. he doesn't hear the kids i don't want to fucking deal with my <laughs> kids right now are you fucking crazy no i don't want it we're gonna see them tomorrow right we're gonna get on a fucking plane and we're gonna have to go deal with those fucking kids tomorrow who gives a shit about who you're talking to on the phone right now? And right. that's the more deeply cynical view of that character rather than believing that he doesn't think that it's his actual kid. No, he knows that's his kid or he believes that's his kid. He just doesn't fucking care <laughs> that, that his moment. kid wants to talk to him moment. from across the world. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. In that, I'm not denying that he actually does love right. his child yeah. uh, or that he might be even a halfway decent father. But in that moment, no. It's not because he doesn't that you're reading too much into that. You're allowing white you're allowing Mike White to lead you by the nose somewhere where he wants you to go that's not actually true. Anyway, I love this fucking show. It's I'm so good. I'm surprised 
at its relative. So, I mean, 10 million people is not a ton of people, but I'm surprised at its relative prominence in the culture. Because there's not shit else right. on. So that's yeah. what I'm thinking. I, I suspect that people, because there are a lot of shows now that they, they just get posted and you watch it, you know, like most things on Netflix yeah. and, you know, The Crown, all 10 episodes, figure it out, fuck off, right? But HBO, they still stick to their weekly schedule. And yeah. I think people do like the uh, one week at a time thing because anything they put in Whether that- they want to admit it or not. Yeah. Anything they put on Sunday nights, I don't know what the next, I think maybe they'll just do like specials or whatever until the new year, but I don't know if- HBO is putting anything on until January, but there's always like a show for like ten weeks or whatever. I think Succession is very cynical too, Uh, and that show is very popular. I think it's because they benefit from oh, it's on HBO, it's on Sunday night. That's like a good time for a show. That's Succession is much more surface level cynical than this one is, though. I think that this one is doing much more interesting things with its characters characters than Succession is. Terrible. We don't like anyone in Succession. Yeah. Greg is okay. yeah, Roman. Roman has yeah, his own Roman. sort of weird charm, but beyond <laughs> that, I do wonder if I'm overreading my own take on humanity into Mike White's art here. Oh, uh, I don't know. You, well, you know it, it, it fracks <laughs> but, better, but, but, right? It does. And what's funny is that there was a more hopeful view at the end of Mad Men as well. People took from the end of Mad Men a much more hopeful message than I took, which I took the most deeply cynical reading of Don Draper on that hill. And I've I've written about Mad Men before at some embarrassing length, I'm sure, on the internet. But Matthew Weiner, the the creator and writer of Mad Men, was encouraged the more hopeful view of the end of Mad Men, which I took to be his way of saying, like, yeah, believe what you want to believe. I know what I wrote. But he never gave any indication that my more cynical understanding of the end of of Mad Men was actually correct. And I I don't think that that's the case here. I don't think that I'm overreading my own cynicism uh, into this show. But who knows where it goes from here. Do you, I mean, we're many years away now from season three of The White Lotus. So instead of predicting uh, who might carry over? Who would? Which character would you most want to see again in a in a potential season three of the White Lotus? If they do the same thing where they take one character from season one to get us to yeah. season two, who do you want to see them take from season two to get us to season three? I, I I'm not sure because like some of the characters are very contained. Like all the hotel stuff are not going to come. The, the the Italians visiting Italy yeah. are not going to come. So like. Portia would be the only one I could think of. Like she's yeah, like Daphne on a girl's trip. Yeah, or Daphne. Yeah, but it has to be something like that. Like either one of those two, because everybody else, I suspect, they're gonna be going to a different location, right? Maybe another continent or something, and so it'll be all new except maybe one. And yeah. so at the end of this, uh, they they do a behind the scenes talk with Mike White at the very end, and he says something about how he might want to go to like some middle eastern guru type situation like go go like so maybe yoga thing fucking white lotus bombay and it's a big like 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 guru yoga bullshit thing yeah daphne on a Uh, girl's trip that makes sense for daphne it makes sense for maybe albie potentially to like go try to like find himself on some sort of fucking retreat in (laughs) india but but he can't bring himself to actually go do the real thing so he goes to this fancy fucking hotel in india any chance that Greg shows up? I imagine that it will be tempting for them to continue the Greg story one way or another. And yeah, personally, I'd like to see Daphne. I don't think we're going to get to see Daphne again. Right. My my guess is that it's a clean slate. You think it's as good as I a also chance. wouldn't right. mind someone from the first season, like Steve Zahn family. 
yeah. again yeah. wouldn't be bad somewhere else with a yeah, different but Also, brand. I don't think you need it. I think that you have this this template with the White Lotus. The hotel is the thing that, that keeps bringing yeah. you back to who, uh, the series. Who I don't was, think that you need any of the characters necessarily. Of the two hotel managers, who was worse so far? You think the first season uh, – because he actually went all the way with a poor uh, staffer. This other one, she just got a sex worker to help her out. Like, do you think that the right. – I mean, he died at the end too, so maybe it bounces. Both great, up. both great characters. Ultimately, uh, I, Armand, that that act, that actor carried that he season, was so and was such a charming motherfucker. <laughs> Even though he's such and a shitty person, but yeah, total he, was he was fine. But but a absolute wonderful performance from that guy, and I don't think that I don't think that whole first season works without him. Yeah, because the. Like the yeah, he was the main character. The newlyweds couple were just fundamentally unappealing, and and even the the small family with the with the minority friend was a deeply unappealing set. Yeah, right. he was the main character. Armand was the glue, right. and Valentina she was good. She wasn't quite the glue. Uh, but that's good because you don't want that kinda, to be the thing every time. Yeah, we kind of lost her for big parts of this season. Like she, she was not crucial to many of the episodes. Yeah. So. But you can't just make the White Lotus is the story of the hotel manager. Yeah, yeah. Right. sure. Anyway, great. I, I think they could do they could do away with all the characters and just yeah come back slate, fresh next yeah, time. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, I'm sure they'll open with another dead body like they do. Yeah, that could be the hook. No. That's what the show is. Yeah. All right, we're about done here. Abe, we yeah. have our tickets for Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Oh, is that right? Do you, I, I do do you have well. your tickets? Yes. Three Thursday fucking night. hours. When, you're going Thursday night? Yeah, Thursday yeah, opening night or the wow. day before they open. Lame. What time? What time? It's at eight o'clock. I got Friday off. Okay, that's not too bad. I was afraid. I was afraid it was going to be like a midnight show. There is a midnight something. show, but I'm going to yeah. the... Eight o'clock, I'll be over a good time. I gotta I make sure I don't drink too much. I told Lori, "Do I need to go see this by myself, or are you willing to go see this with me?" Because I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go see this movie oh, in the theaters. We so have fun. tickets for Saturday at three thirty. Yeah, yes, we're gonna have. We're going to see the 3D version of it, and we're gonna go see it in Dolby Atmos. It's gonna be spectacular, Wait. and I'm gonna hate it. Oh, that's awesome! You get. I, I'm just watching it in the Dolby. Because the three D no, stuff. No, we wouldn't is, be going. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta do. If you're gonna do Avatar, do it. If you're gonna spend three hours of your life watching Avatar, you by might the as way, well. as much uh, personal distaste as I have for uh, Jim Cameron, he's 100 percent right. If you can sit through and binge fucking five hours of television or eight hours of television at home, you can watch a three-hour movie. He says in some interview that I saw, let's normalize just going and uh, taking a pee break. Uh, this is the filmmaker himself acknowledging that you don't have to see every minute of this fucking movie. That if you need to go take yourself two or three minutes in the lobby, yeah. you go ahead and do that. You're going to be fine. Because here, I, I, I'm not writing the fucking – this isn't the but fucking Iliad. that's true, this isn't, he could have edited it to be sure. Shorter, right. and he right. could have like yeah. he could have added a break. I don't need to edit it because any random three minutes, you're just free to miss, and yeah. then I don't have to edit, and and, and you can go pee, and right. everything will be just fine. And I think there's like an app that tells you good times to pee, but like I will say for others who are listening and are thinking about watching Avatar, go in as if you're watching Top Gun Two, right? The story is not who cares, like. The enemy, who cares? Yeah. It's just a spectacle. Right. It's going to be fun. Go look at the pretty pictures and laugh at the stupid blue people and yeah. have a good time. You have a nice little story fun. and the ship goes down. I haven't seen a movie since COVID. This will be my first oh, back nice. in the movie theater. Going to probably get COVID there. It'll be what I get for going to see Avatar. 
before I'm trying to go on a, they're on opening a plane up, to visit family. Uh, uh, they're opening up a lot of theaters in China so people can watch it. Like, COVID be damned. People are going to watch this movie. Yeah, so do you think that James Cameron had anything to do with Xi Jinping's loosening of the zero COVID policies? Yes. Like that's, that, that is my kind of conspiracy yes. theory. <laughs> fuck all this. Fuck all this Q Pizzagate nonsense. Elon just fucking talking to like Ian Miles Cheong on Twitter for no goddamn reason. Just stoking the fires of Q. Fuck all that. I am much more interested in somebody yeah, pursuing the angle that James Cameron has an in with the Communist Party to end COVID zero so that he can have the highest grossing film of all time that's way more fun <laughs> that sounds about right anyway, Abe, you uh you got anything else for us tonight nope well i guess that's all we've got for tonight then good night talk to you next time later yeah, no, it should be a good movie no, it's no. gonna be it's gonna be bad no, a lot of fun it'll be a bad movie james cannon doesn't like make bad, bad movies, movies. that'll be a very simple story good execution you don't need to do a lot it's a fun movie. It will be a story, and it will be a movie, and... I hate I hate that in our fucking stupid culture war society that we live in, I am forced to choose between the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> and James Cameron. You're not. You don't have what to do choose. You, mean? <laughs> you don't have to choose. You could do both. If I have to pick a warrior, I, I guess I have to pick James Cameron. You don't. The They're point. both Disney properties. That's true. Yeah, Disney's That's gobbling up everything. Was was it Disney when the first one came out? It seems like uh, there's been a realignment. No, it was twentieth it. century Fox. Yeah. He, okay. I believe he was making movies for, and then yeah. became a Disney property after. They wanted to make it a theme park, so they bought it. It's pretty that great. Makes sense. Did they? Is there yeah, we an were... Avatar theme park? Yeah, at Disney World. Uh, oh. A whole Kingdom. section of Animal Kingdom is dedicated to Pandora. Pandora. No kidding. Good for them. It's, yeah, it's pretty great. cool. You the two go. the two rides are fucking fantastic. Well, oh. one of the rides is good. One of the rides is fucking great. Well, that's uh, good to know. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway. All right. Nice. Good night. Good night. Mike Strassman's depressed. Oh yeah. Yep. You, you got a clip from no. him. Three reports this week nationally. Not a one. Not a one that Not even... Not one. Wow. He, get, he sort of gestured <laughs> towards one, but it was yeah, like... it was weird. It was way too inside of a joke within the context of the story. Like, he made some joke about, a black tr- about people and their black trash bags, and it just felt awkward and out of place because it's about foster kids and how they think of themselves as being like black trash bag kids. Because somebody's always showing up with a black trash bag, and they have to put all their shit in it. Uh, is that a Strassman term, or is it like a no, commonly no, used term? term? But the first time it shows up in the report, it's coming out of Strassman's mouth. So okay. like, if you're just watching it without any context or understanding of what's going on, it's like, what the fuck's your problem, man? <laughs> Why would you say such a thing? It's similar to the way that people strip context and intent out of everything in modern life in order to sort of nail you on the specific thing that you said, and that some and, and then they use that to get you in trouble. It says you got to sometimes you got to hand it to Victor Boot on the record. We go to bed with a stroked out lurch, a corpse, Brittany Griner, and a six hundred pound morbidly obese homosexual not just 
for sleeping, you understand. But immediate fuck response.